Spoiler warning. Today's episode contains spoilers for the web fiction Worm and the movie Pulp Fiction. Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And I'm David. David is back with us because last time we were talking about libertarianism and we got a whole lot of David, but we didn't actually get to ask most of the questions. And I guess there's going to be like a part two now where we grill him on why his philosophy is so terrible and, <laughs> and how he can possibly defend himself. Last time was us, was us learning stuff. Now is uh, defending the... The thesis against us. Yes. Sounds quite. fun. All right. But first, we start, as always, with Stephen talking about TVs and movies. So, oh, as uh, always, this is the, this is the an old episode mate. of the Basing Conspiracy without it. Thank you. I'm glad you get the brand. All right. So, we went two years without Marvel stuff. As you guys recall, 2019, April was when Endgame came out. Oh. And then we if had. If you're about to talk long... WandaVision, I haven't seen it yet. So, oh, don't worry. I, I won't say anything other than you should see it. And it's amazing. And I loved it. Okay. Um, and oh, so that was on for nine weeks or ten, whatever many weeks it was. It was then, nine. then we had a week off. And then on Friday, Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out. Oh, cool. And it was great. Was it? Yep. All right. I really enjoyed it. Uh, There's a part that's supposed to make you feel mad and it made me feel very mad and it worked. And I'm like, I'm super into it. I love it. Okay, and wait. it's it's playing two different kind of uh, stories at the same time. Uh, Like, anyway, love it. All right. So that's the end of Marvel stuff. Wait, were you going to say something? Huh? No, I was saying I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Speaking of looking forward to stuff that's uh, superhero related, the <laughs> Snyder Cut came out on Thursday of Justice League. Okay. Everyone in the audience, raise your hand if you saw Justice League. Okay, I saw about 60% of hands go up. Leave your hand up if you liked it. Wait, wait, wait. Where did you see 60% of hands go up? I'm, I can just see the audience. You can't oh, see them? Oh, oh. If, if 60% our of our audience saw the Justice League, I would be very surprised. <laughs> I'd be surprised if it was... I, I bet that's about right. About really? A little over one in two people. I want to put out a survey now because I I think our audience has better taste than that. <laughs> okay, well, if, if you like taste and you, and, you like, and you like DC, might I recommend the four-hour Snyder Cut? Oh, my God. It was actually... It, it brought the movie from crap to great. Really? Yeah. Like it, it did. So the reason it sucked is because it gave us uh, five characters, I guess six, um, you know, three of which we'd never really seen before cared about. It, um, it tried to do the Avengers movie without doing the six year buildup where you yeah. get to see all the heroes. First. Yeah. You, you don't yeah. get, you don't You'll get to skip without these assholes. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't get to skip doing, doing the heavy lifting. And so the two main people that you don't know anything about yet are cyborg and flash, right? Because mm. uh, Aquaman gets his own movie. After this, I guess, but you know, whatever. Wonder <laughs> Woman had hers. Batman, Superman, we all know. Um, Cyborg and Flash play a big part in the Snyder Cut, and like the main thing that made that movie rough was that you know Snyder did like three hundred, right? Mm -hmm. The movie's supposed to feel kind of like that, mm -hmm. and then Joss Whedon did the Avengers and Buffy, and like it's hilarious and fun and great, yeah. but they're great in different dimensions. And when you mash them together, you know, you're mixing together like pumpkin <laughs> spice and uh, funfetti cake, right? Like this is not. You know, you're, sure, they're great desserts, but together they suck. Okay. So this is all pure, unfiltered, uncut Snyder, and it's awesome. Um, Flash and Cyborg actually get arcs, and or at least they get stories. They don't really have they have some arc, whatever. But like, 
there's some character stuff, but like all of the disjointedness where like you get a joke thrown in where it feels really inappropriate because that's when Whedon had a chance to shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, all that's gone. There's still, there's still funny moments, but it's no longer like the off brand humor. Okay. So I just finished it this morning. It was great. I strongly recommend the Snyder Cut. It was a lot of fun. Okay. You watched it this morning. I watched it starting Friday. I watched okay. it in three sittings. I did not sit through a four hour movie. Yeah. Okay. That is a lot of sittings for a movie, but four hours, I guess. It's nice enough to give you breaks. Uh, I think there's six chapters and an epilogue. I mean, <laughs> WandaVision is like a four-hour movie, basically. Yeah, but I watched it one week at a time. So how how similar in style is, um, I'm assuming not at all, Falcon and Winter Soldier to compared to WandaVision? Um, it's delightful. I, I Without giving anything away, I just like, Rachel, I turned to Rachel 10 minutes in. I'm like, compare this to the first, and she finished like, to the first 10 minutes of WandaVision. I'm like, exactly. It... Uh, so, I'm it's, assuming it's more of an action movie as opposed to like a psychological thing. So far, so good. Yeah. Okay, I mean, okay. well, actually, so, there's tons of psychological stuff too because it's, I mean, we'll get there. But yeah, it, it opens with a badass action scene. Where I mean, we, the we first didn't... three episodes of WandaVision have like existential horror woven in. Right. Yeah, that was good but, shit. But, but there was no, uh, there was no fighting, okay. right? Um, this one has, starts off with badass fighting. It's great. Okay. Existential horror is my favorite kind of horror. Yeah, me too. God, I loved it so much. I think you're going to love WandaVision. All right, so that, that saves our, our movie digression. Try not to leave it too long, but I just had to share because I just finished Snyder Cut that it was, like I said, I brought that movie from, from bad to great. Okay. Like, I, it's at least as good as the middle-tier Marvel movies. Huh. So. I mean, that is genuinely good. surprising. Yeah. I wasn't all that into the middle-tier Marvel movies either. This one's fun. It's gritty and dark, like the way that it was supposed to be. I mean, I like gritty and dark, Yeah, but I just, I don't, I don't know, man. After, after basically everything that the DCU has shit out, I just don't have much faith. I think if you watch this and you're like, if you're like, you remember Justice League and you're like, oh, I remember the movie that did this. And you're like, oh, wait, they're not even doing that part. Oh, I didn't oh. even watch the Justice League. Oh, well, maybe. I mean, I saw Batman for Superman and I was like, that's all that I'm ever going to watch. <laughs> I, I There's there's no saving that movie yet. No. I don't think there's plans to try and try and uh, hack together a good version of that. But uh, this was fun. I had, I had a good time with it. All right. All right. You still with us, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> everyone else has checked out yeah but you know marvel with me is always like a oh, this is a bad segue cash thought i was gonna shove that in that there. was a yeah. terrible segue yeah. uh, how I, dare I you do, i can do better yes don't don't lower <laughs> yourself to that one <laughs> all right so cash thoughts he brings it up because the first let's wrong sequence this week is called cash thoughts and this is a really famous one it's also i, I love how the beginning of it is just eliezer complaining about how poorly designed the brain is yes. and like who would who would make something like this we were kind of just talking about that before the episode about like how we humans as a species are just like terribly designed yeah, <laughs> yeah our meat suits suck but like you know people say like oh the you know brain sucks it'd be nice to remember stuff it'd be nice if you know i didn't get tired those are all like easy complaints he's like no no look look at just how badly it performs objectively to any other like substrate of of information processing yeah you know this is it's a joke it starts with, so one of the single greatest puzzles about the human brain is how the damn thing works at all when most neurons fire 10 to 20 times per second or 200 hertz tops. In neurology, the 100-step rule is that any postulated operation has to complete at most 100 sequential steps. You can be as parallel as you like, but you can't postulate more than 100, preferably fewer, neural spikes one after the other. Can you imagine having to program using 100 hertz CPUs, no matter how many of them you had? You'd need 100 billion processors just to get anything done in real time. <laughs> Which is great, because that's about how many brain cells there are, yeah, right? Like, yeah, like, that's, that's what we're operating off of. We're, we're a kludge. 
job. <laughs> I, I read that and like I, I read 200 megahertz because I'm just used to seeing megahertz. Yeah, you're like, wait, hertz. And then you read it out and it was hertz and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so, uh... But he does say that uh, if you were stuck using such horrible, horrible um, hardware, one trick you'd use as heavily as possible is caching. Uh, that's when you figure something out once, you you do the uh, mathematical operation once, and you store the results so that you can just look them up later, which is heavily done when doing things with pi and any large complex numbers. Uh, you usually have a lookup table. At least you did back when I learned programming. Maybe nowadays computers are fast enough they can do it on the fly. Now they've got a whole service that's dedicated just to caching. Oh, okay. Like, or, or, you know, you cache it so that you remember, all right, I'm going to put this in the queue when the queue opens up, um, that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, hey, I've got this. Let me work on it while I've got it before we're ready to send it off. And then you hold it. And then you can free up the thing that's doing the working to do other stuff. Hmm. But the thing holds it. Yeah. So it's still totally a, a heavy feature. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the article says, it's a good guess the actual majority of human cognition consists of cache lookups. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then this does, this thought does tend to go through my mind at certain times. <laughs> do do uh, so he gives he gives an example of someone being told by his neighbor that you can knock out a chimney by you can remove a chimney from a house by knocking out the fireplace, letting the bricks drop, and then knocking out those bricks, etc. <laughs> and it did not go well. When years later, he tried it. Uh, I'm assuming he saw that the person who told him that saw that in a cartoon. It must have been, <laughs> yeah, or maybe he saw it in a cartoon and just I don't know. Um, and said, yeah, if, you, if you'd questioned that idea, you'd realize it's a stupid one, and uh, you should have recomputed that, but you just didn't. Do we have examples of common cache dots that we use? I had a bunch that I thought of when I read these the other day, and I'll try and think of some over the next minute or two and try to remember some. I mean... Oh, yeah. David sounded. What? It sounded like you were about to say something? Yeah, uh, so I guess my cached thought when talking about caching in the context of not computers is that the chapter on caching and algorithms to live by is probably the best in the book. What is algorithms to live by? Oh, you haven't heard of it? Um, I've heard of it, but uh, pretend that I am a new listener. Okay, fair. Uh, so it's a book uh, basically taking a bunch of concepts that are commonly used in computer science and programming and talking about how you can use them to improve your daily life. Uh, talks about sorting, caching, etc. Uh, it's quite good. It was by Tom Griffiths and Brian Christian. They were on episode 161 of Rationally Speaking. So if you like not reading but still learning about books, that's the way to go. Or it's a good starting point. They were also on an episode of the 80,000 Hours podcast. I don't know the number offhand. I I'm not a stone-cold badass like Steven. Yeah, I'll pretend <laughs> like I remembered the number. <laughs> um, he just has all the episodes of rationally speaking cached in his brain that's right i have no room for important stuff like birthdays or uh i don't know how to get home <laughs> uh, i think one of my cache thoughts is generally conspiracy theories are ridiculous yeah i mean i'm trying to think of like specific complete the pattern ones and i had some because like it's easy enough to think of the, like you know derisive ones that i disagree with this right yeah. um but like what do i automatically fill uh the response with when i hear something and i'm sure there's you know literally hundreds and i'm just it's not it's the thing is about these it's not labeled in a box in your head called fake shit right, right. <laughs> so like i can't just go look at that box and see what's in there um and like not all cash thoughts are fake yeah right most of them are great like that's why they're there you know they're they're, they're reliable um as is pointed so, out in the post oh go ahead so this is a uh 
terrible segue because we're not going to the main segment, but I'm pretty sure I have cashed uh, government programs are bad. Yes. Um, yeah. I Yeah. Like, I, I definitely need to, uh, when I immediately hear of a government program, like my reflex thought is to try to figure out how it's terrible. And then uh, I usually do. Um and then sometimes I don't, and then I have to actually think about things. <laughs> I, I mean, I related to uh, that. I mean, it's a, I, I see it all the time where people are like, I don't know, whatever situation, um, you know, Bezos made what he oh, forexed yeah, yeah. his money in the last year or something. Oh, the, capitalism's terrible. Right. And like, you know, this is why or something. And it's like, it might be, but like, you need to just be able to articulate the entire thought. Yeah. Right. Uh, talking to a friend yesterday and i forget it might have actually just been me talking about what we're about to talk about today on the podcast but they just said uh billionaires shouldn't exist oh god i've heard them say that a few times where they're just like nobody should have a billion dollars and i was just like like kind of asked a couple of follow-up questions like what do you mean by that basically or like what about this scenario and they like they hadn't actually thought about the thought (laughs) Yep. America is the worst. I hear a lot too. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah, this country is the worst. And it's like, don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, a, a flag swinging patriot, but we do some things pretty good and we do things, we do lots of things a lot better than the worst. Yeah. Um, we're, we're not the worst. Not the literal worst. I mean, have you seen South Korea? I mean, <laughs> Korea. no, South Korea. Uh, North Korea. Yeah. yeah. Best Korea. <laughs> God. Uh, Eliezer does point out in the tribe that the vast majority of our computations are probably cash thoughts because uh, he says no one can think fast enough even to Ah, he didn't say even no one can think fast (laughs) enough to recapitulate the wisdom of a hunter gatherer tribe in one lifetime starting from scratch as for the wisdom of a literate civilization forget it and I think that's true which is part of the reason why it took humanity so long to get from you know hunter gatherers to where we are now because it you know, it's hard figuring out even what shit you can eat that won't poison you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, record keeping. As you recently learned. Yes. <laughs> well, and then, I mean, this relates to caching, but like record keeping was one of the major breakthroughs in that, right? And that's essentially, his, you know, a, a cached record of like, by the way, don't eat this. And we've got a list of poisonous foods in the region. Yeah. And now that people can write them down and read them, it saves everybody the time of rediscovering that or having to go to a meeting, you know, at the town elders to learn about it well that's the thing that people usually pick up because it's local knowledge that's very important that the record keeping was much more for keeping track of how many bales of grain were i was gonna bring that up next yeah Yeah, like i mean so it it allowed you to uh just the idea of saving data yeah right of having a way like granted you can save it sort of kind of in your head Mm -hmm. um and actually um pre-record keeping cultures were very good at oral history like uh I think I've very good is a relative term. I, I've forget where I heard this, but uh, they were very much better than us. Yeah, yeah I heard I, that they were very passed down very accurately. I would be surprised to learn that um, even uh, that they were good at like uh, accounting. Yeah, like uh, they they certainly had a much better memory than we do for like narrative stuff, but. For things where, like, you need to keep a, a four or five digit number in your head, and then you need to do that like two hundred times. Yeah, I, yeah, actually, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible, but 
I would need to see some really, really good evidence that that would actually well, be the case. There's people that can memorize how, how many digits of pi have people memorized. I'm going to look that up. Real quick. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's crazy what you can but do. Actually, the I don't need to look it up. We'll figure it out later. But uh, the memorization techniques involved, I've like looked those up because it's really fascinating, it, are building a narrative on top of it. Like, huh. yeah, we as humans, like use storytelling as, as a memorization technique because we're sort of built for it yeah the memory palace thing is very much a you're walking through and you're telling a story to yourself yeah. to remember things yeah you can people can memorize an entire uh, deck of cards in you know random order what order each card comes in by uh by doing those but those are like professional memorizers yeah. you can do a deck of cards in five minutes right anyone like, can do it with enough practice. right yeah, yeah but but that that's sort yeah of but i mean if you haven't invented that. writing the yeah. marginal product of a professional memorizer will be much, much higher than it is after you invent writing. Right. So but even uh, the, the whole requiring mer- it to be a professional memorizer is uh, actually a fairly low bar for literate like, civilizations. It saves a lot of time. You know, if I'm doing if I'm farming 18 hours a day, I don't have time to like dedicate training my mind palace so like I might, you know, I might know somebody who's like the town accountant or, or makeshift thing, but then I need to just trust that they remember everything correctly, right? Yeah, and I mean the thing is, the normally when I hear these stories about uh, pre-liter cultures had an amazing oral tradition that was incredibly accurate and etc., it's from religious people trying to justify why their um, religious tradition is uh, infallible and accurate. And accurate doesn't mean true. Yeah, but I <laughs> I, I don't believe that uh, their narrative hasn't changed because sometimes we do find old ancient records and they contradict. Uh, it's even if people can memorize those things, and I don't doubt that they can. Uh, there are other pressures in life, uh, specifically political pressures, often which will cause the narrative to change uh, over generations even if um, people could have memorized it perfectly because there's damn good reason for small things to be changed at the, on the, at the margins. Yeah. Especially like if your civilization gets taken over by the Babylonians and all of a sudden you need to reboot uh, everything and explain how this happened. Yeah. <laughs> all Indeed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it does become all part of God's plan. It's it's wonderful that way. I've always, I remember the, like as a child hearing that like, you know, things are part of God's plan. And I was kind of like, thinking about that recently too i was always very confused by why that made it good (laughs) it's like it's like don't worry it's all part of god's plan and then i'm like what is what is the plan though because so far like all the history i've read seems very random and capricious and like kind of cruel which i guess is a synonym for capricious I, I would strongly recommend, I know I've recommended Ted Chang before because he's just an amazing short story writer and he writes things that rationalists would love, but he wrote a short story called The Truth of Fact and The Truth of Feeling. And in that is a wonderful example of this sort of narrative um, that changes for political reasons. And when one particularly precocious young kid uh, finds out that the, the history has changed and gets upset about it, the elders are like, kid? This is the actual truth because this is the truth of the world as it as it is because that's that's the truth they needed it to be in order for things to progress so that the tribe could survive. It was a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The truth of fact and the truth of feeling. Okay, cool. 
And so I, I continually see people who aspire to be critical or who aspire to critical thinking, repeating back cash thoughts, which were not invented by critical thinkers. Ah, this is from the post. Yeah. And so I figured we could try a few of these, you know, complete the pattern. And so death gives meaning to life or, um, and he gives all the examples that like would be easy for me to think of, you know, like over, you know, um, immortality is a good thing. And then you get ideas like, well, overpopulation, you know, oh, all these, all these nonsense things. And I've met people like this and I've actually rejoined, I don't probably after I've read these or, or you know, around the time, but like, you mean like uh, people just defending their cash thought? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're like, so, so they have the thought and then because they like, they have it, their inner uh, PR person is like, well, hold on. That must be, that must be what I actually believe. Let's defend it. And so like, but I've met people and like, like he talks about in the post who are like, you know, when you talk about existential risk or something, well, you know, maybe humans suck. You want to read the actual quote? Oh, sure. I figure I could summarize it well enough, but it's frustrating to think that good and decent folk, people would never in a thousand years spontaneously think of wiping out the human species, raising the topic of existential risk and hearing them say, well, maybe humans don't, maybe the human species doesn't deserve to survive. They would never in a thousand years shoot their own child who is part of the human species, but the brain completes the pattern. Yeah. And so like, I've, I've had those conversations and I asked them like, you know, like, and they'll be like, they'll be sitting there with their, with their spouse. I'm like, so you would shoot your partner in the face. Hmm. Like you, you would throw them into the sun or whatever it is. Right. And they're like, well, no. And like, like, where do you think they live? What species are you? Friend? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've had that, like, you know, uh, there was this ex coworker of mine that was always talking about how humans suck. <laughs> Just like, okay. Uh, but like, but you, but you're like, a- <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not humans. Maybe it's just you, man. Um, <laughs> I like, you know, Carl Sagan, just to go, go, got it from the other way. He had just this great way of, you know, talking and thinking about it. It's like, we humans are capable of greatness. I think that's the way to properly frame it. Like we, we, yes, we fail all the time. We do nasty shit as a species, but we, as a species are also capable of such greatness that the rest of the planet is, is not even comparable to. I, I and that, that's that's dolphins. the real beauty. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that self-loathing is a hell of a drug. I was married to someone who was of the humans should be extinct uh, mindset, and she didn't was kill this, herself. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> was this a human that you were married to? <laughs> yes, and uh-huh. she didn't kill herself, but, you know, she was kind of trying to do the best she could for all the other species on the planet because she knew that she couldn't wipe out the human species. But it was one of those things where, like, if mm. she had the option to, she probably would have. I, I mean, maybe, but then you kind of wonder, like, I, I I don't know about you know this person's psychology in particular, but it's like I I don't I think the people who just say that are just saying rehearsed thoughts. Like I think you give them a button and be like, by the way, this will also kill your parents, your kids, your your partners. Like the person who press that button's a monster. Yeah, I I I don't want to use the word monster, but um, anyone who's certainly willing, troubled. Anyone who's willing to kill me and every baby on earth. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's hard to say. Uh, that I would call them anything but a monster. I get where they're coming from in a way that, like, I get where um, I admire I, the know, self-consistency. I suppose of like, being like, so yeah, like, I'd die too, but that's okay. But I, to- I totally get the where someone's coming from if they were to go, you know, like, uh, kill an abortion doctor or, um, I mean, hell, even like, uh, kill a Democrat. Like, yeah, kill a Democrat or or like lynch a witch or something, right? Like, I get where you're coming from you believe these crazy things, but the idea that you're out doing this, like, I don't know. I, 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 I think that's maybe again, I won't, I won't fight the definition of monster, but I'm like, I want that to change. Yeah. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be that way anymore. Stop being. I like think, that. I think you would be happier if you weren't, if you weren't that way anymore. Right. It's a good thing that it's really hard to wipe out the human species. Thank God. And we have to worry about the uh, mad genius correlate to, um, God, what was the, the, 
fuck, it just slipped my mind. The law that computing power doubles every 16 months. Moore's law. Yes, the, the mad genius corollary to Moore's Where's law. That cash troubling. Thought? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great cash thought. I like this one. Uh, rationality, complete the pattern. Love isn't rational. I mean, we could probably think of just like, you know, corollary versions of that that make us sound all high and mighty, right? Well, like, oh, we, we're such clear thinkers. Shall we complete the pattern? Love isn't rational? Well, I thought that it was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, he argues against it, but the first thing I think is like, yeah, yeah, that that, that shit makes me crazy. Yeah, I guess... It uh, makes me do stupid stuff that I wish I didn't do. I, I thought the love isn't rational was somebody like... Was supposed to be somebody arguing against rationality as, as a good thing, you know, like... Oh, oh, that if yeah. you're rational, you can't love? yeah motherfucker or I, I encountered those arguments back in the day with religious people like oh no I, I i believe in love because i believe you know the universe has meaning and it's like well i believe in love too and yet i don't feel that way so clearly we're 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 <laughs> at an impasse with our communication here um yeah i i don't have like a um a quick cash thought to rejoin to somebody who's like uh what that they say so love isn't rational but like okay so yeah. <laughs> like that that's my cash response i guess if i have one like well then you're not a real rationalist steven i guess yeah i'll, I'll, I'll bite that bullet I, if, if that means that i think love is cool or real um or that i what, what makes me not a rationalist that i think those things or that i don't have a quick response to the person who says yeah so what are no, you doing David? yeah no i'm going i'm gonna take the other side of this i think love is rational i know it's yeah <laughs> like what what, what's irrational about love like sometimes love makes you behave irrationally, but that's not because of love. It's because of the stupid monkey brains. I think it's because of love, but I think love is a thing that evolved for rational reasons. Like evolution wants you to act irrational sometimes in the defense of your mating partner. Yeah, yeah. No, like- I, I I think love is a um. I think love is a comorbidity with irrationality, <laughs> uh, so to speak. But um, like, it's not inherently irrational, right? Like, so put it put it that way. I mean, like the fact that I love my wife means that I I share in her happiness and I want her to be happy. And like, it, well, I mean, even if we just distill it down to her happiness makes me happy. Like then, of course, uh, you know, I want her to be happy because also makes me happy. There's nothing necessarily rational. There's that's a perfectly, as far as I'm concerned, straight line of thinking. I think like people might say it's irrational in that I would let a thousand people die before I let her die, and yet the math doesn't check out, right? Right. Um. So you know, it is what it is. Like I, I'm, I'm prepared to just bite that, but I, I, I defend that that's like a kind of, um. I, I, I like comorb- comorbid with irrationality. Um, that that that's a kind of uh, fl- like flaw in robot thinking that I think is understandable given our uh, heritage, mm-hmm. right? Um, like you said, we're we're wired this way, and it just it doesn't make sense that like if I cared about her as little as I care about third world people who I care about, um, but like just because they're distant both in time and space and and uh, psychology um you know like it's 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 rational in game theoretic terms like the impulse to exact revenge on someone who has you know hurt you in some way even far beyond uh the costs that would rationally make sense uh prevents people from hurting you in the first place and therefore even though it is irrational to pay a lot of money to hurt someone more than it's worth it uh 
in the long run, it stops the hurt from happening in the first place. I like that way of framing it. It's mutually sure destruction yeah. on a personal level. People are less inclined to mess with you if they know that you will throw away literally everything to ruin their life if they mess with you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I will sell my house and hire hitmen left and right to come after you if you cut me off in traffic again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we... Uh, does, so... Does so what I'm hearing, Stephen, is that you think Taylor was right. Uh, <laughs> Taylor yes. did nothing wrong. I think I actually haven't read it, so I'm just repeating a phrase that I see. I, I, I you know, about the nothing wrong part, like, I don't know. I That's a longer conversation. But like, was she right? Like, at the end, spoiler alert for Worm, she basically mind rapes everybody into following her will so she can guide, she, so she can command all of them as like, some some of them as meat shields or as as uh, as distractions and others as just big guns to fight the big bad that's trying to destroy the universe. Like, I I I would be obviously irked if I was grabbed by Taylor and thrown into the meat cannon that to be shot at this monster. And yet, I'd be like, my my last thoughts, if I had a chance to reflect on them, might be, I understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, given the choice, I would like to have cooperated freely. But given that this there wasn't time to do that and people weren't playing along. If you had to, if you had to do it by force, like, I mean, it's one of those things. Like, what's worse, like being violated that way, or being having your your planet be extinguished? Right. And anyone who says my personal freedom is more important than that, they don't realize that if your planet's extinguished, your personal freedom is also gone. Well, maybe right? they do realize that, and that's just the hill they're willing to die on. Literally, they're, they're literally willing to die on that hill and and drag the rest of their species with them, including their 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 friends and children. Right. right. So that too would have made a great segue to the main topic if we didn't have another sequence post to get through okay let's let's finish this one up um he ends it with try to keep your mind from completing the pattern in the standard unsurprising already known way it may be that there is no better answer than the standard one but you can't think about the answer until you can stop your brain from filling in the answer automatically i like how he says that like it's easy he doesn't say it like oh, it's easy. He, he makes a very big point in the post about how hard it is. Oh, I, I just know. didn't copy it all. But it's but it's like even even the big way he's, there's there's it's no sort of like don't think of a pink elephant. Well, I've never had a problem with that. It's see, I pictured a pink elephant the second you described it. Um, but like it's it's more just like all right. So here's how you here's here's a common failure pattern. Try not to do that. It's like sure, I'll try. Mm-hmm. Like and I and granted, he he goes on more at length about it. And this like obviously that's like a large point of the sequences how to think originally, but. To deliver that sentence is like delivering instructions on how to tightrope walk. It's like, yep, put one foot in front of the other, try not to fall. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that's the instructions. It's like, sure, it sounds easy when you write it down, but it's hard. <laughs> so I have a question about this uh, before we move on to the next thing. Isn't this basically what all the conspiracy theory and flat earther people are doing? They're not just accepting the cash thoughts that society has given them? I disagree. I think that they're accepting a new cash thought. Yeah. Yeah, I think they have the cash thought everything you hear from official sources is a lie. And like that's definitely an interestingly different cash thought, but I still think it's a cash thought. Like I I have with the exception of some people like David Yusuf, I haven't met anyone who's like yeah, 9/11 probably was done by Al-Qaeda, but mm, Kennedy Definitely not uh, killed by what's Oswald. his name, Oswald. Yes. Hmm. I uh, although I did recently hear by far the best alternative to uh, Oswald killed Kennedy from David Yusuf. Uh, so shout out to him. Him. What? 
Was it a suicide? Uh, no, it was an accident. Uh, basically, the <laughs> so the the according to Yusuf, which I have not independently confirmed this, but I doubt he'd just make it up. Uh, the Secret Service and other law enforcement agencies weren't trained to keep their fingers off the triggers until after until like uh, several decades after the Kennedy assassination. Until they accidentally so, killed the president. <laughs> yeah. So the so the idea is um, the first two shots are from Oswald. Secret serviceman draws his pistol with a finger on the trigger. Driver slams on the brakes, and the secret serviceman accidentally shoots Kennedy in the back of the head. I have two uh, quick thoughts on that. One is that I feel like his head blew up. In the fashion of a rifle shot, not a not a handgun, and it exited out the back of his head. That too, but the other the other thing about the back of the head makes you think that this this theory su- suggests that that and it's not impossible, but that Kennedy died like Marvin in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> They're leaning back. Hey, man, what do you think about this? Boom! Speed, speed bump. Oh shit! I just shot Marvin in the face. The thing is, I'm more inclined spoilers to believe, for Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I'm more inclined to believe. You know, what's the? I'm trying to remember the the phrase where it's like not attributing things to malice or uh Hanlon's razor uh never attribute yeah. to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity yeah so like i'm totally inclined to believe a conspiracy theory that's like okay the official <laughs> thing is wrong actually this other stupid like random thing happened and i'm just like yeah sure they were <laughs> trying to they're trying to fly the planes to cuba but they hit the towers on accident <laughs> Yeah, yeah think- that that's definitely the way to convince me of a conspiracy too. Just like if it if so if the Benny Hill theme is more appropriately played over the conspiracy theory than it is over the official story, I'm much more likely to believe it. I think that your your point of like conspiracy theories as a whole is interesting, but I think that's a, a larger phenomenon than just rehearsing bad cast thoughts because yeah. rehearsing the correct answer as cash thoughts is a similar problem. It, you know, again, you're, you're, you have to be correct. Um, you know, how old is the universe? You know, uh, about 14 billion years. Yeah. And that's just like an answer that you heard and right. it's vaguely right. I have no um, idea how to verify that. Right. And like, I, you know, I, I've read books that explain how we know that, but I didn't check. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I don't know how much exactly how primary research is demanded to be fully uh, justified in my belief. Um, but it's like, I'm right. I'm, I'd be willing to bet, you know, all my money that I'm right that the universe is somewhere between ten and fifteen billion years old. Um, but like, that's not the. Uh, I don't know if, if I if I believed that it was ten thousand years old because I'm a young Earth creationist. Uh, I'm still just rehearsing things that I've heard. You yeah. know, granted, I'm rehearsing better things that I've heard from better places <laughs> because I'm smart and I'm right and they're wrong. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a it's a hard. It's a hard thing to do and an easy trap to fall into when you try to critically examine when something. When you try to think outside the David, box. you have the loudest keyboard I think I've ever heard. You're welcome to mute oh, if you need to. Sorry. No, you're good. I'm just letting you know you're welcome to, to mute if you need to slam the keyboard. That was a great <laughs> segue by Jace, though. Sorry. I couldn't hear it over the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> really trying. Uh, no, segue again. I couldn't hear it over the keyboard. Sorry. Oh, no, I don't uh, want to say it again. It's just... <laughs> okay. Uh, um, um, what, what was the By the way, if you guys have never typed on a mechanical keyboard, definitely try it. It is the most oddly Uh-oh. Oh, we just lost you. All right. We are now recording. All right. The second less wrong post after that slight technical issue, which we're, have, we have now recovered from.
yep. is the outside the box box in which Eliezer points out that whenever someone extorts you to think outside the box, they usually, for your convenience, point <laughs> out exactly where outside the box is located. Isn't it funny how nonconformists all dress the same? Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. If you don't wear black, how will people know you're a tortured artist? <laughs> how will people recognize uniqueness if you don't fit the standard pattern for what uniqueness is supposed to look like? I feel like he's painting with too, lar- too broad a brush here. I don't. I like, I mean, I, I guess tortured artist might be a, a very niche thing, but like, you know, tortured person also has like the, oh, I wear long drapey clothing and I, I'm all, you know, like, but a lot of people are tortured and sad and dress perfectly normally. Yes, but <laughs> they should not dress perfectly normally so other people can tell that they're tortured and sad. Yeah. <laughs> That's why also, we have <laughs> Also, I, I feel like there's a difference between a tortured, sad person, lowercase t, lowercase s, lowercase p, and a tortured, capital T, sad, capital S, person, capital P, TM. I yeah. just goth my whole life. I never like considered myself to be tortured or sad. I just like the aesthetic. Yeah, I, I really love this with you there. But, but I, I, I really, anyway. yeah. In artificial intelligence, everyone outside the field has a cached result for a brilliant new revolutionary AI idea: neural networks, which work just like the human brain. <laughs> new AI idea: complete the pattern. Logical AIs, despite all the big promises, have failed to provide real intelligence for decades. What we need now are neural networks. I feel like there's probably a new one now. Isn't GPT that was the thing at the time? Isn't GPT and OpenAI basically it neural network architectures? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. We got there eventually. But, but are those AIs? Yeah, it's a good. Ooh. I don't know. Are they are they intelligent? They're the next step along the way. They're getting there. There's something. So we think. Uh, and as someone who is vaguely approximating a subject matter expert in something that has very little to do with AI, uh, I can confirm that this isn't exclusive to AI. It happens for pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, I'm, oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I had a perfect example of one. Uh, well, the thinking outside the box on econ is always like, oh, people aren't perfect, you know, utility maximizers. And that's why we have this brilliant revolutionary new behavioral economics, which has been around for like 30 years now. <laughs> uh, it's actually been around for, oh, uh, God, like uh, 250 <laughs> years or so. See, uh, that's fun how fact, revolutionary it fun is. Fun fact, literally 100% of modern economics can be found in Adam Smith, uh, except for demand curves. Um, that That is literally the only innovation that's happened in economics in the last 250 years. I will have to take your word for it. Sounds like a really uh, riveting field if it's been <laughs> if it's been a solved problem for a quarter of a millennia. <laughs> was, that, was that just a dig at, at your profession? I'm sorry. Uh Kinda. <laughs> I, I meant to, I meant it in a good-natured way, but I realized that it c- could have come off. I I meant it yeah. as a complete joke that was a supposed to be a fun jab, but yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's how I took it. Um, good. Yeah, you're looking for the cool new shit that hasn't been found yet. Yeah, basically, like so. There's demand curves, and then there's a lot of people trying and failing to refute Smith's claims, and then like basically, there's just a bunch of footnotes to Adam Smith. Hmm. Well, there's also implementation, right? Um, he was pretty good about that. Oh, well then. Yeah, he was. He was actually a. He actually married theory and practice in a much better, healthier way than a lot of modern economists. I do like that Eliezer points out subversive literature 
because you know literature is a thing that I have a hard on for, and asks uh, that that it's uh, has any of the subversive literature you've read caused you to modify any of your political beliefs? Points out that most of it is taught to you by English teachers in high school, and uh, yeah, I would just I in my opinion anything that's actually subversive is censored. So yeah. nowadays the subversive stuff would be like I guess what you find on 4chan. Yeah, or QAnon. Uh, or Q Captain Underpants. <laughs> Captain Underpants is like the most banned book. What? Because parents don't like that it's very naughty. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> I when I worked at a library, we had banned books day. It was great. Nice. Like we display them prominently uh, with like little placards explaining why this book was banned, uh, like and encouraging people to check it out and read it. <laughs> so, so. I, I'm going to ask this question, even though I'm almost sure I know the answer. Did you ever put uh, Mein Kampf in that display? Yes. Really? Was Mein Kampf ever banned? Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. It's <laughs> currently banned in Germany, I think. Well, yeah, Germany's got its its whole thing. I just I figured kind of over here. Like, can't I go to thing. Amazon and buy a copy of Mein Kampf? Yeah. I, well, here you can, yeah. yeah I, you can uh, buy anything banned in America. Well, uh, except for the Dr. Seuss books. Well, you can still buy those. Well, not on Amazon or eBay. Oh yeah, but yeah. that's because of their stupid bullshit, right? So I mean, if they're still selling wine comp, like that, that's, that's my thing. I guess that's my, in my mind. It's not. I guess who banned it? Like uh, schools, okay, yeah, or like uh, yeah, primarily schools, God, um, I'm libraries. For- I mean, like they have tried and succeeded at banning books from libraries before, but libraries like generally <laughs> dislike that. I've mm. <laughs> tried to keep you know open access to information for everyone. Are all the good important historical books that are racy like banned now like huck finn and uh to kill a mockingbird and stuff i don't think uh, they're- i i can't remember the exact details but i'm pretty sure uh that uh either middle school or high school teacher got canceled because they said the n-word because they were reading huck finn aloud i heard about that yeah. but i wonder i mean also, so, Jace, and that was uh, also like 10 years ago it was like an old recording right uh maybe i don't know uh jace is that library still open because i feel like i need to donate to them oh yeah uh guess i i don't know what for some reason i feel weird saying it on the air it's the auto okay. Brooms public library of northfield okay <laughs> cool definitely donate to them they're great that was the same one where we had the hijab day oh nice the like stupid uh controversy over that <laughs> was that where you encouraged people to wear hijabs if they wanted to or uh, well, we had um, we had a local author come in who was a black Muslim who wrote a book about like her life story of being a black Muslim in Atlantic City, and we got to talking with her after she did her book presentation and realized that it was like National Hijab Day coming up, and we we're like, oh, cool, we can like have you come back because she wanted to like you know it was a great time. She wanted to like come back and do more stuff. Just like. I'll like talk to some of, I have like a friend who owns a store that sells hijab and they can come in. We'll like talk about the different styles that they wear in different countries. And, uh, and then like people could like try them on and to, uh, advertise it. The library director posted a picture of herself on like social media, wearing one of the hijab that she'd been given by this woman who makes them and was like, you know, come to the library for hijab day. We have these books about these like Muslim women and their experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And, the internet blew up because it was like white lady in a hijab of yeah. cultural appropriation. Yeah. And then like one, one side Checks and then the other side was how dare you wear that terrorist garb in our nice little library. So like, yeah. Well, it uh, got the attention it wanted. So, <laughs> so 
uh, while we're swapping fun library stories, do you guys remember that story about the um, uh, library that was trying to do a drag queen story hour? Uh, yeah. And it was so emphatically protested that they ended up canceling it. Oh, I didn't realize they canceled it. Yeah, they did. Uh, and that is the library that I go to when I want to go to a good library. Oh, cool. Not really. Would have been oh, a lot cooler if they hadn't caved. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, they get some points for trying, but uh, yeah. yeah. So back to thinking outside the box. Those right. were thinking outside the box ideas. I like it. <laughs> uh what else do we have to say about this? Eliezer has a cool example. Um, apparently, at this uh, startup funding place, Draper Fisher Jerviston, if only two oh, only two partners need to agree in order to fund any startup up to one point five million, and if all the partners agree that something sounds like a good idea, they won't do it. Because <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, not thinking outside the box enough. Exactly. I, I love that idea so much. Yeah. Did it say how many partners oh, there were? Also, uh, real quick, you did um, uh, you did skip the best part of this post, or at mm-hmm. least the most topical, uh, which is the block quote uh, from Lizard. Uh, yes. Revolution has already been televised. Revolution has been merchandised. Revolution is a commodity, a packaged lifestyle available at your local mall. 1995 gets you the black mask, the spray can, the crush the fascist protest sign, and access to your blog where you can write about the police brutality you suffered when you change yourself to a fire hydrant. Capitalism has learned how to sell anti-capitalism. Good job. Yeah. And I could do an entire podcast episode on this concept alone, but um, for now, I'll just leave it at uh, I once saw a um, like T-shirt with a chibi version of the famous photo of Che Guevara. <laughs> and that was the most late capitalism ass thing I have ever seen in my life. I kind of want that T-shirt. Oh, and who's Lizard? Uh, I assumed some uh, poster on whatever this blog or yeah, whatever it is here to observes and the, it links to journalism.berkeley.eu and i it's just like the main page and yeah <laughs> does anyone know who lizard is <laughs> help us listeners <laughs> yes on the ground because now the lizard people don't rule us overtly all right he ends it with every improvement is a change but not every change is an improvement the one who says, I want to build an original mousetrap and not, I want to build an optimal mousetrap, nearly always wishes to be perceived as original. Originality in this sense is inherently social because it can only be determined by comparison to other people. And that actually was not the end, but that is the last note I pulled and is another example of how hard it can be to actually be uh, thinking outside of the actual box, not using cache dots because then if you're just trying to optimize looking original, you're not necessarily looking for the actual correct best solution. Yeah, and like I mean, especially in a place where like if it's a job, like hey, I did this thing and it's it's an original me and I I'm the one who put it together, like that gives you job security and like street cred among your coworkers and, and bosses, right? Mm-hmm. The downside is that like sure, you did it originally, but the the packaged version that you can get for free does that better and cleaner and more maintainably. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like it, why did you spend 200 hours on this right and and now it's a, now it's this convoluted mess that only you know how to work with job um, security yeah then the downside is then when you leave other it's other people's mess to work with so yeah um <laughs> yeah i uh it's I don't know if I ever hear people say I want to build an original mousetrap. I get what Plenty is making, but I always see I want to make a, I want to build a better mousetrap, which is the 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 canned phrase, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the cash I, I have heard um, things like uh, you're trying to build a new mousetrap or um, reinvent the wheel. Yeah, yes. reinvent the wheel is something that I mention at least once every two weeks at my job. <laughs> Like, you know, hey, before you do this, make sure you're not just trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, there's probably a way that already exists to do this pro- to solve this problem. And lo and behold, there always is because, you know, there's no there's no problem in general that you're facing working with computers that someone else already hasn't worked on. If you could reinvent the wheel and patent the reinvention <laughs> and then convince everyone else to give up the old wheels, highly lucrative. Hard to do on a computer, but it would be nice to do in some other way, right? Very easy to do in pharmacology, apparently. <laughs> right. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah. Don't get me started. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> big pharma. So for next time, we will be reading Original Seeing and How to Seem and Be Deep. Can't wait. <laughs> All right. And now we are going to start grilling um, David <laughs> on why libertarianism is the best and or the worst. Yes. All right. Uh, this is insert, insert the audio uh, from The Dark Knight of the Joker saying, come on, hit me, hit me. <laughs> We're going to try to keep this more of a Q&A thing. Uh, if any of David's A's go for more than three minutes, then we start tapping on the microphone, doing something to get his attention. So try to keep it snappy because we're going to have lots of follow-ups, right? I did not realize that that was the rule, but I'll do my best. I didn't either. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say a soft you know, limit. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I guess if I ask a good question and it's a, the answer takes 30 minutes, then just say, Here's the crappy short answer. The longer answer takes 30 minutes or something. But yeah. if you want to um, hit me with follow-ups, I'll elaborate. So I also, I had a meta note to bring up to this. And uh, at the beginning of the last episode, we caveated that, okay, look, hit Steven or anyone who's, who uses, commits this, this uh, <laughs> fallacy or, or thought trap um, gets, gets a bonk with a bonk stick. If you're comparing ideal capitalism and saying, well, this would be better than this proposed libertarian solution, you get the bonk. No, ideal government versus practical yeah. libertarian. I mean, right. I mean, it is a symmetrical rule, but I very rarely see people making the other mistake, and I'm pretty sure I don't. Uh, but yes, that, uh, if, you're, raise, if you're comparing ideal stuff to real stuff, then you're doing it wrong. Well, so I think that's just what I wanted to keep in mind for a lot of my questions, because like, you know, we, we had like a long back and forth about you know, well, what if uh, this asshole wants to do donuts in the the intersection near your house, and you don't want them to because it's keeping you up at night? Like, I feel like the the answer of well, they just go door to door and offer them money in exchange for you. So that thing, like, that is not how the real world works or will ever work. Right. I maintain, and so like I think that's the reverse of that fallacy where it's like, well, sure, in this perfect libertarian utopia of Homo economicus is then of course that's exactly know, how it would um, work so so people have paid people to do pretty weird stuff on fiverr <laughs> yes but that's different you're on fiverr uh I guess. So, right yeah so th- uh the answer i gave you was uh shortened for the sake of time uh someone actually asked about that on the subreddit so uh we and i Asked them whether they wanted me to respond on the reddit or on this podcast and they said on the reddit uh, I have not gotten around to that yet, but I will try to do that 
uh, shortly after we stop recording, assuming I still have any neurons left, and then mm-hmm. we can uh, put a link to that in the uh, show notes, and then we can continue the discussion on that specific topic there. Does that sound like a plan? Perfect. Sounds good to me. Just one last thing about that before we move on. Uh, I will remind you that the governmental outcome was a couple of people got run over and maimed. (laughs) So uh, you don't like even if the outcome you get under real capitalism is just like a bunch of people get really, really annoyed and get a bad night's sleep. That's still probably better. Right. And and I laughed not because that's funny. I laughed because uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great example. Right. Minus the actual human suffering. It's hilarious. And so like, you're right. Like, hey, you realize what really happened is people got, you know, run over by cars, right? I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a compelling counter argument. <laughs> but I guess what I want to keep in mind is that like doing like proposing a system that's better than what we have now is so easy. Anyone can do it, you know, more or less. You're not I, wrong. No one should be billionaires. Right. No one should be billionaires. (laughs) No one, uh, you know, should, whatever, insert problem, right? But like, uh, so I guess, but I I wonder. I also think David is really downplaying the badness of having a lot of people kept up all night, especially if it keeps happening over and over. Uh, As someone with insomnia, I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, so like, I I have had some uh, involuntary staying up all nights myself. I don't think I'm downplaying it, though, because a guy got his legs crushed. (laughs) That is worse. (laughs) No, that's definitely worse. I agree with you. But on the other hand, if my past year of being almost unable to live my life due to unable inability to sleep was due to one guy... I might consider crushing his legs to get that year back. Well, and we can also move away from this specific example. The, yeah. Most of the most of the time that someone makes a huge ruckus in a neighborhood, nothing happens to them. Right. Right. People drive through my uh, townhome complex parking lot once a week, blaring music loud enough to shake the windows mm-hmm. for everybody in the complex. There's this asshole who lives across from my apartment who has a like DJ quality speaker. I think you told this story yeah, last time. Yeah, I think episode. I probably did say this last time because I think it happened right before that. Last, and, uh, and so, like, I'm just saying, like, for, for the most part, you know, violating the uh, the rules that people would like you to follow has no con- consequences. Like, you know, well, I mean, yeah. Uh, granted, we don't want the consequences to be you get run over, but no. it would sure be nice if you got a ticket. All right, so I've got a a question that probably sounds like it'd be fast to ask, but too long to answer. How, <laughs> okay. how in, in general, how how would like um not just norms, but like agreed upon systems, like what, you know, what we call laws, how would that work without uh, like a state police? Uh, So are we talking libertarianism here or are we talking anarcho-capitalism? Because I can talk both, but uh, one can easily be a libertarian without being an anarcho-capitalist. So we should keep the distinction in mind. Yeah, that was going to be my first question, because a lot of the things you brought up seem to be like the subscription model of government, which is great, but that seems like anarcho-capitalism as opposed to like what the Libertarian Party actually wants when they run people for president. I'm more interested in hearing about anarcho-capitalism. I say we hear both. Uh, Okay. Well, yeah, if we have time, we could do both for sure. If if, if you're going to force them into three minute answers, I bet we can do do six because I'm curious how both of these work. So, yeah. All right. So uh, the the short version is or the uh, standard moderate libertarian version is definitely the short version. 
Uh, so I'll start with that. Uh, it would work exactly the same as it works now, just there would be fewer laws about stupid things like uh, nonviolent drug offenses, um, prostitution, uh, trying to think of other examples that would be pretty much uncontroversial for libertarians. Licenses uh, fewer- to do people's hair. Yep, uh, occupational 50 licensing. Having, 50 years ago, having homosexual sex. Yeah. 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 Uh, ending the forever wars. And I think this yeah. is why libertarianism is somewhat popular, whereas anarcho-capitalism is a total fringe position. Mm-hmm. Because just being like, we're not changing much, we're just getting rid of the stupid stuff, is is more palatable than we're getting rid of all government and replacing it with this weird thing no one's tried before. Yes, that's true. But also libertarian is libertarianism, even the moderate version, is pretty unpopular because a lot of people are just horrific busybodies and would prefer to be able to boss other people around at cost of being bossed around themselves oh, than yeah. they would to just like let people alone. And that's why vice crimes exist. So in in a libertarian framework I still have a state number. I can call the police and say, this person won't stop uh, hitting my car with a baseball bat. And somebody shows up and stops them, right? Yes. Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, you could even potentially call them up and say, this person is blaring music and there's a noise ordinance in this town. Sure. Yeah. So what, uh, so libertarianism, the standard framework has taxes then just less, right? Uh, I mean, not necessarily even less. Um, uh, probably less, but... Um, like I said, uh, fiscal stuff is, I don't think really worth quibbling about. Uh, so if you wanted to say, end the forever wars and the drug wars and so on, and then pump that money into a UBI, that would still be pretty libertarian. Um, uh, there are probably some libertarians who would disagree with that, but I would consider that a win for libertarianism. Right on. So I, I guess um, libertarianism in a nutshell then was like less about completely removing government and more just about like really reining it in the way a lot of people pretend like they want to. Is that <laughs> so, right? Yeah. So uh, like even the really isn't necessarily something you'd need to commit to to be a libertarian. Like I'm very much in the uh, libertarian unity camp. Uh, so like if there are any decreases at all that you want to make uh, to the size, scope, and spending of government, then like I, I will back you up on that. Um, so like, yeah, I, I am very much not a purist. I think that there should be as wide a tent as we can possibly make for who counts as a libertarian. Um, so yeah, if well, you want to you make it. You want it to become a dominant, successful position. Exactly. Gatekeep as many as many high walls as they can are the ones who want to make the, their position fringe and small, and therefore never victorious. You're not wrong. <laughs> All right, I got my question answered. Unless we want to ask about, I, I'm less curious now about the anarcho-capitalism way of doing it. Is that just? I, I, I guess. It, so, all right, briefly then, we'll keep the rest of this on on libertarianism, at least for my stuff. But the anarcho-capitalist society. Someone's hitting my car with a bat. I'm not big enough to go hit them with a bat and stop them myself, nor do I have enough money to pay a security guard to do it. Is there, what's my option? Uh, so essentially you have, so 
you've posited you don't have enough money to pay a security guard, which I think due to economies of scale, it would be quite cheap in anarcho-capitalism because that's actually the uh, solution. Essentially, you would uh, subscribe to a rights enforcement agency. Um, Shorthand, the mob. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So they were... So the original phrase that David Friedman used in The Machinery of Freedom was um, uh, private protection agencies, and he changed it to rights enforcement agencies because literally everyone who heard that immediately thought protection racket. Uh, But yeah, uh, so you will subscribe to a rights uh, enforcement agency, and then whenever you have a um, complaint that you want to bring to them, then uh, you say, hey, XYZ is happening. Uh, And then they will go to the rights enforcement agency of the person who's doing it. And he's saying, hey, this person's doing a thing that's violating someone's rights. Uh, We're going to go find them, jail them, whatever. Uh, I do have an idea for how exactly that would work, but it's getting a little bit into the weeds. Um, uh, So we can go into that if you want, but I'll wait for you guys to actually ask instead of volunteering. And then they show up at your house and say, hey, quit it. And then if necessary, bonk you, uh, (laughs) take some of your money, put you in jail, whatever. Huh. Right on. I like that distinct answer. That's that's a terrible answer, though, because that is literally the mob. He would just have his own rights enforcement agency, which would fight your rights enforcement agency. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't say I agreed with it. I like the yeah. I like the strictness of it. Okay. Yeah. So, so like, so there is there is a good reason to believe that wouldn't happen. Do you want to give me another three minutes to talk about that? Please do. Okay. Cool. So essentially, the um. If two rights enforcement agencies have a conflict, one says that their guy did a thing, the other guy says they didn't, then uh, they will uh, go to a mutually agreeable arbitrator. Uh, For the arbitrator to be mutually agreeable, then they'll need to be like an impartial seeker of truth. And then... um, and that is actually something that's borne out empirically. Uh, there was a uh, time in the, uh, I want to say, late 1700s in England uh, when there used to be one court, just the king's court. And then due to some legal shenanigans, uh, people were able to sue and try criminal cases, I think. But they were definitely able to sue in either the King's Court or in the Admiralty Courts, and uh, the levels of corruption plummeted uh, because uh, the courts were paid based on how many cases they heard, and so they actually did compete on on non-corruption. Anyway, uh, and then if... uh, And then if the... Uh, arbitrator finds the uh, person did actually do the thing and the rights enforcement agency keeps on trying to defend them, then they are uh, going to fall into a moral hazard problem 
where suddenly everyone who does bad things is going to be trying to join their agency. And that means that soon they will have basically every other agency um, massed against them. So uh, unless there are like, unless the other, this one agency with the criminals is small enough or is big enough rather that they can go against literally the rest of society, then uh, they probably won't be able to get away with it. And there is, there are reasons to believe that they won't be that big, uh, but I'm going to need you to authorize another three minutes for me <laughs> if that's a, if you want me to go into that. I think I see what you're saying. Um, I mean, it seems like this has the assumption that both parties have a uh, rights protection agency memberships. Yes. Where like if I was operating outside the law as a, uh, you know, old West gunman and I didn't have a rights arbitration or or rights uh, protection agency subscription myself, but I still wanted to whatever shoot car windows out for the sport of it. Um, And then the person whose car window I shot out calls their, I'm going to say cops. um, They call their cops and then I don't have cops of my own. So then they basically just de facto win. Unless you can stop the cops, which you probably can't. So Yes. All right. So the um, objection that Charlie had upon hearing this is that this basically sounds like government for rich people. That anyone who can't afford a rights protection agency simply doesn't have rights that are protected. And there's a lot of people in America who don't have a lot of money. Uh, yeah, but current government is government for rich people. So... Uh, anarcho-capitalism doesn't clearly uh perform worse there because you know cops murder poor brown people all the time and get away with it there's issues but like even when i was you know working part-time making 11k a year i could call the police yeah the the police they're they're certainly much more valuable for rich people but there is some presence in in poor people's lives that they can show up if if you get murdered and you're poor, the cops are still going to look into it. Usually. Yeah, unless you get murdered by a cop. Um, sure. Yeah. So I, so I suspect, although I freely admit that this is fairly self-serving speculation, but I suspect that um, the uh, rights enforcement agencies would be cheap enough that basically anyone... Uh, who like has is gainfully employed uh, would be able to buy at least basic rights enforcement services. Yeah, and, but not everyone um, is gainfully employed. There might be like yeah, philanthropic for, endeavors to yeah. And for the rest, I for the rest, I think there will be um, uh, that charity will be able to cover it uh, because there are negative externalities to crime. Uh, this is the basic theory behind broken windows policing, which, of course, has a bad reputation because racism and qualified immunity. But like if you uh, if like there are a bunch of murders or muggings or whatever, then to some extent, those um, those criminals are gaining skills that they'll be able to use uh, to conduct or to commit those crimes more skillfully. So I suspect that there will be um, sufficient incentives to um, 
to prevent those negative externalities that uh, uh, there will be uh, some sort of free package. Uh, there are also potentially a lot of um, uh, opportunities for in-kind uh, payment of subscription fees. So like you... Um, uh, one weekend a month and one week a year, uh, like go out and be a meter maid or something. Um, that is getting deep into speculation territory because there's so much we don't know about like what the services would cost and uh, what sort of charity there would be and all that. Uh, but I will say it's not obviously something that will go horribly wrong. And uh, I am a very, very pragmatic sort of anarcho-capitalist. I would like to see it tried, but if something that I think would work out is tried and it ends up going horribly wrong, then I'm happy abandoning the label. I'd be a little bit bummed, but I definitely consider human welfare uh, more important than anarcho-capitalism. And so if it did end up having really bad consequences like uh, rights enforcement being beyond the ability of uh, many people to pay for, then yeah, I'm okay saying it was a good shot, but it didn't work out. Nice. I think I, I broadly like that answer. One part that I liked too was that you're right. Even if I was a, a mostly self-interested, well-off person, if I knew that two, two, two neighborhoods over, there's a guy robbing the houses of people too poor to afford protection I don't want that person to get really good at crime because I'm just up the street. And if they if they get a lot of practice breaking into houses, next thing I know they could be knocking they could be breaking into my house. Now, granted, if I if I'm sufficiently well off, I have gates and yeah. panic rooms or whatever. But if I'm only if I'm only medium well off, I could see my personal selfish incentive being you know what I'll spend ten bucks a month towards the public pool for protection, whatever, right? Well, I think that's why uh, a lot of people moved out to the suburbs back when the whole white flight thing happened, because they could pay more to live further away from the crime, and that just left those those crime ridden areas crime ridden. Crime here, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, remember that they did have um, they did have uh, government police, and one of the functions of government police is preventing private police. Uh, so assume it, even if we just assume that they were self uh if that they were rationally uh concerned about crime and there wasn't any racial motivations which obviously there were um then under anarcho capitalism instead of uh running away you could just say to your rights enforcement agency hey something's happening that i don't like here's some more money can you handle it yeah, I don't like this idea specifically because it does remove the monopoly on violence. I think I think having a government monopoly on violence in any given territory is actually a really good idea because I just don't like the idea of I don't even know how many separate entities, basically everyone, everyone being able to commit violence at any time uh, and there's there's no rule against it just because they say they're a rights enforcement agency or that you know i'm a solo person i am my own rights enforcement agency and uh i don't like violence getting out of control where everyone feeling they have to defend everything themselves 
I like the fact that there's people saying, no, only these specific people can do violence and everyone else has to cut it out. But I think that our society kind of can work on that, like on an imaginable small scale where like, you know, if we're off uh, doing a 30 person camping trip for a month or something, right? Mm -hmm. And one guy keeps stealing food, I don't know, or maybe the situation is more dire or something, right? But like, whatever it is, like, if at some point, we don't have to call the cops to to exercise enough force to make this stop, right? Yeah, but that's because there's 30 of you. It's like when you're in a city of a million people, that's much harder to police. Well, if there's one jerk running around shooting out car windows, then the million people shouldn't have a problem stopping them either, right? But maybe the problem then too would be like, uh, I mean, <laughs> certainly if there's a million people and 300,000 of them are hated by the other 700,000 for bad reasons, then the 700,000 will have no trouble kicking their asses because they're outnumbered two to one. Um, it would be nice if only the state was allowed to do it and the state was ideally close to impartial. I see what you're saying, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm basically imagining like a race situation, you know, where white people are beating black people out of the neighborhoods or something. Yeah, so the issue there is uh, just that, I mean, it's the um, standard argument that uh, capital or anarcho-capitalism doesn't obviously perform worse than... Um, than uh other governments because like uh if you have a democracy with 50 percent people wanting to run around lynching black people then they can in fact we had something vaguely like that in the antebellum south um or if we have a constitutional republic which requires a supermajority to lynch black people then we can and under anarcho-capitalism presumably the black people want to get lynched or want to avoid being lynched uh more than the white people want to lynch them and uh so basically whoever if there are enough black people with enough money and enough desire to live to basically outbid the white people then they won't get lynched and whether that ratio is higher or lower than it would need to be under uh, the current system for um, uh, whether the ratio of black people and weighted by their desire is higher than it is under the current system based on political power and how much the police like you and so on. Uh, I don't know it. I could speculate, uh, but that speculation would be obviously self-serving and um yeah so i will say anarcho-capitalism doesn't obviously lose there but that is a definite failure mode i would be worried about still sounds like government for the rich since the people with more money get to decide so to some extent you're right except what you're forgetting is that lots of poor people can outbid a small number of rich people uh, yeah. In fact, this that is basically how tenements happened. Um, uh, the uh, apartments in New York City used to be like you would rent the entire building or an entire floor or whatever. And then landlords realized that they could cut every floor up into five, six uh, apartments and then um, charge... Uh, a third as much and make more money by renting out these relatively cheap small units rather than renting out entire floors to the rich. I realize that, but 300,000 poor minority people aren't 
going to be able to outbid 700,000 middle class majority people. And Sure, but how much do those middle class majority people really want to go lynching? Eh, I don't know. Like, like when you are living in essentially a racist aristocracy and you know you'll get away fr- from it, like the cost of lynching is fairly low uh, for the lynchers. You just need to find someone and then throw a rope over a tree branch. If yeah, they the actually lin- had to like engage in a bidding war, they I I I realize this is fairly self-serving, but I suspect they'd quickly realize, you know, there are other ways we can entertain ourselves. It wasn't just entertainment though. Like the Antebellum South was a government um supported terrorism basically. Like you didn't need to lynch all that many people to have a terror-based community that kept the majority of the people you wanted to keep down, down. You only need to lynch a few to set an example. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, I'm not sure I have much else to say here. Yeah. Um, Like, it's definitely a potential problem. I'm, it's just not obviously something that would go wrong. I do like the idea that maybe it could be tried out in a small area first and then abandoned if it does go wrong. Yes, I'm a big fan of charter cities for that exact reason. Yeah, it would be an opt-in kind of thing. We, we wouldn't just make a neighborhood that way. Yes. Um, okay, Jace, did you have something? Um, well, I don't know if you know this, but uh, yeah, speaking of trying it out, I'm looking at the anarcho-capitalism <laughs> Wikipedia, and they have a section, Historical Precedents. So uh, got, yes. Okay. One of my favorite topics. Yeah, I don't know which one I want to ask about more. The Free Cities of Medieval Europe. Uh, medieval Iceland, the American Old West, Gaelic Ireland, or Somalia from 1991 to 2006. But which one is... Oh, did the Plains Indians not make the cut? Uh, oh, the Plains Indians are my favorite. They're not on here. Huh. Do you want to edit this Wikipedia? <laughs> uh, I have a lot of other stuff on my plate. Yeah. But maybe? Uh, yeah, the reason why I like the Plains Indians is because they are a practical solution to the hard problem. Uh, the hard problem, of course, being national defense. And the Plains Indian solutions was just be fucking insane and super aggressive and be so hostile to other foreign powers that they can't invade you because they're too busy being invaded by you. I don't like that solution at all. <laughs> yeah, it's not great, but it does it it is a solution. I suppose. Uh huh. Okay. No one has no one has any other libertarian questions. I mean I can pull more off the top of my head, but I guess like the problem is I'm already inclined towards libertarianism and I I I want to fight the narco capitalism thing, but this wasn't supposed to be an narco capitalism episode, it was supposed to be a libertarianism one. Yeah, the libertarianism uh like thesis seems to have fewer holes uh like to drive a plane through so like um you know like i i like the answer to you know how do you solve commons problems well you have laws about it like if that's an acceptable solution then there's not much else about it right i guess like a common complaint about libertarianism is uh it would be entirely fine in the libertarian government for a racist lawyer to 
discriminate against either racist employees or not racist against uh, minority employees or minority customers. And uh, people don't like that. Uh, yeah, I, we can talk about that. Um, yeah. What so, if what if I go to a doctor and the doctor says, fuck you, I'm not giving you any medicine. You're too white for me. Uh, too say, all right, yeah. fine. If you're if my money's no good here, then I'll take it somewhere else. Uh, yeah, I think yeah that's so, th- so this is this is actually a uh, problem where competition is, especially in the presence of a um, of uh, uh, rule of law, where um, you won't need to worry about the KKK burning your shop down if you serve black people. Um, this is actually a an arena where uh, competition works really, really well. Um, essentially black people have money and other minorities also have money. And if you are, um, uh, if you discriminate against them, uh, then they, you are foregoing profit and, uh, under the theory of perfect competition, which of course is a homework land thing, but, uh, it's easier to see there. If you forego profit, then you go out of business. Um, and likewise, if you um, if you discriminate against potential employees, then that's the same thing as essentially artificially restricting your uh, supply of labor. And when there's a restricted supply of something, then the price for it rises. Um so, so yeah, assholes can still that's... pay extra to shop at the whites only cake shop, but like the all inclusive cake shop will just see more traffic because a it's cheaper and b uh, people who are incentive who don't like the whites only cake shop because they're assholes will shop at the all the all inclusive cake shop. Uh, yes, except that they both cake shops also have to pay rent, and uh, if the all inclusive cake shop. Uh, does more business um, because of their lower cost of operation, then uh, that will uh, drive up rent to the point where the racist cake shop can't make theirs and the uh, all-inclusive cake shop can buy the lot and then expand their business. Well, if the... Um, Like, there's some questionable assumptions baked in there, but that's... At least a decent first brush. Were you grinning because baked in there, baked into the cake? No, no, I hate puns. <laughs> uh, the, the, if the all-inclusive cake shop, though, is willing to hire from a much wider labor pool and therefore get lower, uh, pay lower prices for labor, what that means in practice is that the public sees the all-inclusive cake shop hiring minorities for less, and then they get canceled for not paying uh, their minority workers as much as the racist cake shop is paying the white employees. I would hope that the good PR of we serve everybody would help cancel out the uh, the lower wages, but yeah, I don't know. I that that sounds like a two. That doesn't sound like a critique of anyone. Like that sounds more like a critique of society sub or post twenty thirteen than it does of like right. any pre- yeah. like of the, of the politics at large. But that is a funny uh, thing to consider there. Yeah, um, that's that's definitely a possibility. Uh, at a certain point, I just have to throw out my hands and say, like, if people are determined to be psychotic, then there's not much I can do to stop them. Uh, <laughs> I guess I bring this up because this was an issue around, I don't remember if it was World War One or Two, but uh, probably World War One, I, I guess, 
where U.S. veterans, black U.S. veterans, were uh, stationed in the South or on leave in the South. And uh, there were no shops in whatever area that would serve them. And this became a major issue because these people were out there killing and dying to defend your, you know, right to exist in America. And you will not serve them. And there was tension. But on the other hand, the law was on their side. They could simply choose not to serve black people. And since there were almost no black people uh, or no black people that had money in their area, the, they never went out of business for this. And it was it was a thing that was part of their business model and worked. Um, what like what do you do when you have a large federal government with a diverse population and sometimes part of that population goes to places that still have these sorts of racist customs? So I would hazard a guess, and this is speculation, but I'm reasonably confident about it, that the uh, shop owners were less unwilling to serve the uh, black people because just they didn't want their money and more because they were worried about the KKK uh, burning their shop down if they did. General Um, social pressure, yeah. Yeah. um, The theory does fail if uh, enough customers have a taste for not shopping with black people or not being served by black people that it becomes more profitable to uh, discriminate. But, um, uh, again, that's just a matter of, like, if you are dealing with a population that's so corrupt, then it's more a matter of libertarianism being unable to save you rather than libertarian libertarianism failing in a unique way. It sounds like libertarianism requires, like, a base level of not insanity to work, which doesn't sound on its face like too tall of an ask. Well, that is that is human. true, but it's I also mean, true of literally literally every other system. That's true, yeah. I mean, so yeah, don't get me wrong, a lot of people suck, but like, um, I, you know, and I'm not sure how often this happens where, you know, a gay couple wants a cake for their wedding and, a, you know, I used to hear about these where the cake shop would be like, I don't want to make a cake for your gay wedding. And they're like, and if there isn't a cake shop next door, we're like, all right, cool, we'll, we'll give our money to someone else. Like, I don't know. And I, I apparently, I, I think the cake example is fun, A, because it's real examples, but B, because it's kind of trivial, like you don't need a cake for your wedding. Yeah. Um, and like, at the end of the day, it does not take a skilled person to make a cake. Um, um, like, a I you can get a cake at Safeway for $2. Okay. So like, 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 yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... It depends on the quality of cake you want. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but but at the end of the day, if you want to serve cake at your wedding, you know, for $10, you can buy five boxes of cake, add an egg, and put it in the oven, and you're set, right? Like, or add, a, add an egg and some water. And, like, so I think with those, I, I always like those examples of, like, the, the idiot shop owner turning down money because it's like, great, you just lost... Because you, you get to overcharge like crazy for your cake, right? Like if you're selling a wedding cake, um, so I mean, you just turn down potentially hundreds of dollars because you're stupid. Like, great, you're you're now out hundreds of dollars. There is an Aziz Ansari joke about this several years ago, and I forget if it was a real racist locksmith or a hypothetical one that he made up for the joke. Um, but it's like the the locksmith didn't like Koreans or something, or he thought they were always locking their keys out and didn't want to help them or something. And then uh, he's That's like, really specific, yeah. And he's like, 
he's like, I imagine this guy down the road, like, God, if I didn't hate Koreans so much, I would have made so much more money. And it's like, yeah. And the locksmith who was happy to help Koreans, assuming that in this hypothetical, Koreans are more likely to lose their keys or something, or this is a Korean heavy area, like they're going to do better. Like to me, I I like that, that part of the competition aspect. Right. Um, Like it, I, I get where, like Inyash was giving the example of like a society collectively sucks enough to where it makes it hard for certain groups of people. That's a much harder problem. But like today, you know, I mean, we ordered our wedding cake online for $50, right? Mm -hmm. So like if I lived in some shithole town that, you know, had one cake shop full of racists, I'll order mine from a milk bar might've been the, wait, milk. I forget what it was. Uh, Milk is in the name somewhere. This person had a thing on on Netflix that we watched. It certainly wasn't Milk Bar in Denver because that's a goth club. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but no, she works in New York and we ordered from her shop and it was awesome. Cool. Yeah. And so like, I mean, so in the age, especially where you can order in services like that from, uh, from trucks across the country, like, I guess the cake problem, as far as I'm concerned, is solved. Like <laughs> yeah. the, um, you know, where do you live and where do you shop for groceries if, if your local grocer hates black people or something? That's a bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, that that is another place where the theory fails. If there's a discriminatory monopolist, then uh, that can be a much stickier wicket. Uh, but the question there is, are you more likely to have a monopolist in a libertarian society or in a statist one? And uh, the, I think the answer there is fairly clear that you're more likely to have one in a status society just because so many, um, so many monopolies are, um, are government made and uh, the, um, the, uh, and like trust busting is, basically just blatant rent seeking to punish companies that refuse to um essentially issue bribes to the government rather than actually like you know trying to find cases of price hikes discrimination or other uh serious issues nowadays so uh yeah that uh having a discriminating monopolist is definitely uh a harder problem to solve but i think in a lot of ways you can solve that problem by just not having as powerful a government so that it has more limited scope to create monopolies i all right i have a follow-up i'm gonna jump in here with i'm sorry yeah go ahead okay all right um for a lot of people government intervention in the markets is a feature and not a bug like they want the price protections, they want the licensing, they want the minimum wages, they want all these things that uh, they know you can't build a kind of crappy house. You have to have at least these minimum standards. Um, How the hell are you ever going to get people on board with libertarianism when you're telling them you're going to have to get rid of, you know, various workplace safety laws and minimum wage laws and all these industry protections and tariffs and monopolies that make things so profitable for you like this seems like a really hard ask what's fun before you answer that is that i'm exactly on the fence there because i'm i'm in the position where i like all of those things and i'm finding this libertarian talk very seductive so like uh, I don't, yeah okay yeah so uh pr's not my department uh, <laughs> <laughs> libert well, libertarianism yeah. is very unpopular and that does make me sad but like 
I'm pretty sure that's just the case because a lot of people are idiots and or busybodies. Um, yeah, you can't just go around and say people are idiots, though. You have to say something watch like... Watch me. Well, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I take that back. Uh, if you want to get a majority of the people voting, you have to make some sort of case as to why their lives would be better. And that's really hard to do because they can see how the licensing keeps out competition. Yeah. So like, so taking this more seriously, one of the reasons I I think libertarians are unpopular is because it's really easy to see benefits that the government does. It's much harder to conceptualize, um, the problems it creates. So like take the um, uh, medicine approval by the FDA. Uh, So it's really easy to think, oh, sometimes drugs have dangerous side effects. We should keep uh, people from being able to sell those. It's It's much harder to wrap your mind around the notion that some drugs are safe and that the FDA prevents them from being sold and that that also causes human suffering or to take workplace safety. uh, It's really easy to look at the OSHA rules and see, oh, there are all these things that my boss isn't allowed to do that would make me safer uh, or that would make uh, my job more dangerous. Uh, But what you don't see is that those things cost your boss money. They also make more people willing to do your job. Uh, So you have both a lower demand and a higher supply. And both of those things uh, reduce your wages. And maybe if you were to offer uh, those people explicitly package A, where you have these safety features, but they get paid, I don't know, $20 an hour, Versus package B, where they don't have the safety features, but they would be paid $35 an hour, they would prefer more money. And that's just a, essentially, (laughs) yeah, and essentially by having these OSHA rules, you are telling people that they aren't allowed to trade money for safety uh, in a way that they might not necessarily want if the offer was explicit. I think a lot of people think that people should not be allowed to make choices like that, like choices that could be potentially potentially harmful for them. Yeah, it's too what did, to what did I just say about people being busybodies? <laughs> Go ahead. It's, well, I don't know. I'm just thinking of like the triangle shirtwaist fire and like children working in factories and like, you know, we kind of, yeah, I don't know. That's where I start getting uncomfortable with it because it feels like it seems too easy to imagine a world where people are basically coerced to work in you know, um, to, to like have children working in factories or to accept a job at the triangle shirtwaist factory. Uh, cause there's not that like swath of options for them. I don't know if I articulated that well. Uh, <laughs> just... no, I think, I think you, you raise a good point and I'm trying to find the exact phrasing that David used in the example from the last episode in the notes, but it was like, uh, it was the, it was at the end about minimum wage, but this is sort of related to that because, like, um, you know, I, if I I forget how you phrased it, but it was nice and succinct. But I'll try and do a good job summarizing it. Like, if I want to hire somebody to help build a fence or something, what's the minimum amount that I should you know before I can offer them before the government comes in and says no, that's not enough. Yeah. Like, so the so the way I put it was, um, 
if there is a voluntary transaction where you uh, want to do a thing and someone else wants to do that thing with you, uh, whether it be working for wages or exchanging goods uh, for money or whatever, uh, what are the requirements where um, third parties are licensed to step in and prevent that transaction? Yeah, I like that because it, I mean, you know, we, like like Jay said, like there's this kind of like uncomfortable reaction about like, well, I suppose if you offered my kids $60 an hour to work at your factory, you know, because their hands are small enough to fit in the machines or something, I might be inclined to take that, especially if I was desperate. But yeah. like something about that, I, I feel like it's a mark of a civilized society that we don't have kids, you know, breathing factory smoke, working in factories, getting their hands lopped off. So like, you you are correct that that is a mark of a civilized society, and that's why child labor was more or less uh, eliminated before there were child labor laws. Um, the implementation of child labor laws were basically the government coming in and claiming credit for eliminating something that free markets had eliminated basically a decade earlier. Then to, to take adults then, I mean, like, in the US and maybe in most of the world, um, I'm not allowed to sell my organs like voluntarily. Yeah, I just think that's you know? nuts. See, I, I there's I, a I, massive I, kidney shortage that could be solved in this country. And that that that's kind of where I'm on the fence. And that sounds like this is less of like a challenge the the one perspective or another, and I'm kind of just tossing this out there because you're right. A lot of people need livers, a lot of people need need kidneys. Um you could donate a lobe of your liver without uh any um you know, without losing your life, you can donate a kidney. Livers uh, are weird. Livers are weird. You can just cut a chunk out of it and it grows back. And, yeah. and you need one to live, hence the name. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I Damn it, you made me laugh at a pun. I How dare you? I just wanted to get that proof on the air. Um, I think that's the first time I've seen any guys laugh at a pun. <laughs> so, like, I get we could solve this problem by saying, hey, look, who wants a kidney? But then, like, I just have this gross reaction to it. Maybe that's my own weakness, but, like, you know, I go soliciting around a poor neighborhood or I go to war-torn Somalia and say, hey, uh, how about I give you $200 and I get your kidney? And like $200 is, you know, uh, it would really help you in your situation. But like, it just, it feels so, I don't know. I I don't, I don't icky. like it. Am I, am I <laughs> stupid? Do I have a problem or am I, am I on to some moral Im- importance there? Maybe uh, I yeah, be asking. Yes. <laughs> yes. You are stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if someone wants $200 more than they want a kidney, then like what that just give I, them $200. Like, this, it, this seems like an obvious effective altruist equation here. Well, I think that there's just something like, and this isn't a utilitarian answer, but some, something net negative, not in the, again, Udalon calculus, but about taking advantage of super desperate people where like if, yeah. they, if, they, if they were able to feed themselves, if they had enough clothes and, and you know, electricity to, to live a life, um, there's no way they would take your shit deal. You know, you could, you could make it even grosser and be like, hey, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll salvage you and your family from this war torn nation. Y'all can live in my house, but I get to fuck you and your kids whenever I want. Like, I mean, you, you can make this as gross as you want. Somebody might be desperate enough to take that deal, but like, that's still terrible. And I like the idea of someone with a big stick said, no, fuck you. I'm not letting you do that. Now, granted, Steven? the counterpoint is that they stay in the war-torn nation and get killed. Well, other counterpoint, um, 
you would you be somebody's slave for eight hours a day if you didn't need their money to pay your mortgage and food bills? I mean, you're. I think you're you're being pretty uh, loose and fast with your use of the word slave. You are sacrificing hours of your life every day to do something you would rather not be doing. I mean, because they're willing to give you money. Sure, you only get so many hours of life, and they are stealing it just because they have they money. They aren't stealing it; they're purchasing David. it. <laughs> <laughs> on, on this side of it, though, I'm on David's. I'm on. I'm on the other side of the fence, where it's like you know, if if uh, if someone you know, so I've had jobs where it was not worth the money to do that job, mm-hmm. and it was it took uh, risks and and work, but I I got other jobs where now. I am, you know, I feel like I'm getting uh, enough bang for my buck and like, I like having money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like I like being able to go to the grocery store without having to check my bank account. Like, so those that are freedoms. Those are freedoms I'm, I, I have now that I didn't before where like I, I'm willing to exchange the time that I give to my, my employer for that. Like, so uh, it's, that's less about slavery and it's more about my, my personal empowerment. Right. And it's like about reality too. And so like, is it that different from any other transaction of giving something of yourself for money? And so that, that again, I think that this is. And I know we've we've moved pretty far afield from libertarianism, but this is just something where I found an opportunity to shoehorn in something I've been tossing around for years without any consensus in my own brain. So, like, it's. And I do want to say I'm not actually on the side necessarily that I'm advocating. I just am presenting that side. No, steel manning's important. Um, but yeah, you want, I guess you want, want you want to make clear that you're still manning and not not uh, standing up for it. Um, so like I I don't know. I think the again, if you take it to the, the gross extreme, where you know you're, you're saving a family, but in exchange for all this horrible shit, and they're really torn. Like on the one hand, it, it, so it's like a it's like going to like a pot, a, a drought stricken area and selling bottled water for fifteen dollars a bottle, where it costs you uh, eight cents a bottle or something, right? Like you get to make a killing. And they need the water. They need the water more than they than they need fifteen dollars because they're they're they and the, and their kids are dying. Can't drink money, <laughs> right? So like, it's but some. I and I and I realize that like if I were to step in as the government and just say no, then those people all dehydrate to death. Um, like that's that's not an optimal solution. But like high price of water was a motivation yeah. to get people to bottle up water and drag it out there. Yeah. No. So so the. The solution that you're looking for is not to ban the transaction. It's to make sure that people have enough money and other resources that they never have to worry about taking one of those shit deals. Yes. And like, uh, and I think that it's pretty clear that the uh, general efficiency and um, economic growth from having a less regulated freer society uh will get you a lot of the way there and then charity will also do a lot for you there and then like i said at the top um of the first show i don't consider welfare to be a fight worth fighting now i think we could probably get away without it for now or not for now but uh in an ideal situation but if I'm wrong about that, then I am definitely okay having some sort of UBI, and I am definitely putting those last on the chopping block uh, for my incrementalist anarcho-capitalist fantasies. Can I make a case for the busybodies real quick, just to take the <laughs> other side here? Uh, you can, but I'm probably going to laugh at you. 
Okay. Uh, that's okay. Um, so the case for the busybodies is there is a lot of people who live as if they're not going to uh, see 22. Like I, there's that old song by Coolio. I forget it is. Uh, You're looking uh, at me like I have yeah, 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 Gangster's Paradise. I forget the exact line, but he's like, will I live to see 24? I don't know. And a lot of people live their lives that way where they're like, you know what? I don't even know if I'm going to be alive in a year. I'm going to take whatever risks and shit-ass deals I need because it doesn't matter to me. Uh, they, I guess future me can go fuck himself or call it a uh, high time, what is it? High time uh, discount? High time preference. High time preference, yeah. yeah. Hang on, but, hang on. I always get mixed up which one's high and which one's low. Well, one of those. Yeah. Time preference so, yeah. is, is, is Okay. High time preference means you are impatient. Okay. Because you have a high preference for having things sooner rather than later. Okay, a high time preference. And the thing is that they're wrong in their estimation, statistically speaking. So in the end, it turns out that society is saddled with a lot of people who made short-term good choices, which are horrendous long-term choices. They now have zero kidneys because they sold them both. <laughs> and all of us are left paying the bill. They can't work. This is uh, terrible. They're and on dialysis. They're on dialysis. <laughs> we're not just going to let them die. And so it's in society's interest to be like, if we're the type of society that doesn't just let people die in a gutter and we are taking care of them, then we have to curtail some of their worst choices, such as whether they can sell their kidneys, for example, or I don't know, Something else. Climate change might be a man of that position, right? It's the busybody saying, no, you can't pump all that smog into the air to do this when you can pay more to do it cleanly. It's the OSHA busybodies that say, no, you can't work in that coal mine without any air filtering because you'll get black lung and be hospitalized at 40 before you die at 50 after 10 years of expensive care. Um, Even if it costs your employer more, he hires less people and you make less. It's still net worth it to society. So fuck off. I actually think the environmentalist uh, point is one of the stronger arguments against libertarianism. Yeah, so um, so the question there is, who is better at making decisions for uh, you personally? You or Miss Grundy down the street? Um, for me personally, it's me, but I realize not everyone is as smart and well-informed as I am. Sure, but how are you going to generalize that principle? Because if you are going to say, for example, that um, people uh, can only fly planes if they meet these very, very stringent standards that maybe some people would rather not have, well, then you've just regulated flying cars out of existence. And God only knows what sort of economic gains we would have if we had actually had flying cars to say nothing of just, you know, being able to visit relatives that are six hour drives and half hour flights away. I'm with Jace. I am a big fan that we don't have flying cars. Like my bedroom's on oh, the second floor. I ass. love the idea that I'm not going to be killed by a drunk driver while I'm sleeping in bed. <laughs> People can barely drive cars on the ground. Like we, we don't need to be. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. No. So, so, like a thought. <laughs> so flying cars would be a lot safer than ground cars. Ground cars uh, yeah. Somehow. That is getting way far afield. And uh, I really I, want to see the crawl though. Yeah, I would refer everyone to the book Where's My Flying Car by J. Storrs Hall uh, for oh, the long have- version. Um, 
You were supposed but, to do a special mind killer episode about that book. We're waiting for it still. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I am. Uh, I offered to do an audiobook uh, version, uh, and the author said that sounds awesome. Except I'm in the middle of getting it republished, uh, and I'm not sure the new publisher would be as fond of it as I am. And I said, "Cool. Uh, I am happy to." Uh, do it on any terms your publisher sees fit, including releasing it through Audible or some other more formal channel. And I never heard back. So, wait, did you just reach out to the author and say, like, I'd like to do an audiobook of your book? Yes. Can you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Shit, I should do that. You're allowed to talk to people. I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's a free country. I know. Sort of. Also, I have found that the phrase, I'm contacting you on the advice of my dissertation supervisor, yeah. Robin Hansen. <laughs> It's yeah. downright magical. So once the six month mark, you should ticks over. You should contact him again. Okay. But to, to Jace's point, unless you're going to make another one, I'm curious about the environmental, like, like, cause, cause that is an example of like a, a short term gain for long-term fuck you. Except even the long-term isn't even you in five years. It's your, it's your neighbor's kids. Yeah. And your kids. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the environmental thing last episode, the, yeah. So I, um, I'm not sure if we fully addressed the previous point. Uh, if we didn't, then let me know on Reddit or Discord and I'll flesh that idea out some more. Uh, but onto the environmental stuff, um, I mean, again, there's the same problem. Like, if you have the problem, if you have the uh, environmental impacts being so abstract and um, in the future, then like, that's not, that's obviously something that democracies have trouble handling as well as like uh, libertarian societies. And uh, if you have a tort system that's capable of handling that sort of class action, which we plausibly would under um, a more libertarian society, even though we don't now, then, How do you see people that have been dead for 60 years? <laughs> uh, so you, um, so an example of reparations how from their descendants. anarcho-capitalists <laughs> would handle, um, would handle that is like, if you own a beachfront property in Miami, you say, Hey, I have this building that to all rights should stand and generate profits for 200 more years, but because of global warming, it's going to be underwater in 30. Uh, and then you can go, uh, you can sue people who emit carbon as whatever class and uh, say, you owe me uh, some suitably discounted uh, 170 years worth of profits for this location. Uh, fork it over. Um, <laughs> this is why I was more interested in the anarcho-capitalism because I don't know about y'all, but I'm already leaning pretty libertarian myself. <laughs> I kind of I'm having too. a hard time, like even coming up with objections beside like beyond the standard ones, like the environmental, the pr prison privatization, gun control, like, and it's all stuff people have talked about to death. I do think there's some case for some level of busybodiness that is, you know, non-zero. And and non ridiculous, like I mean, even if uh, and I get like this would be a risk I take as a worker going to the office or something. But like you know, if I'm working downtown and then they erect a building next to mine that has no safety standards, and I you know am worried it's going to catch fire and probably will, my options are quit my job or like 
wish I lived in a world where they weren't allowed to build such a dangerous building, right? Like, uh, no, you're missing the third option. Uh, hire hitmen. Uh, sue them. <laughs> you can't sue them before it catches on fire, though. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I guess that, that's. I, I mean, if it, I mean, if it's a, if it's a provable hazard, then sure you can. But but would I be able to in a like? We, I can only do that because there are safe, safety standards now. If if safety, safety standards were a thing that we did away with because the busybodies got annoying, like, am I just, you know, I, I guess who would even be willing to hear the case? Like, so, yeah, so there are, uh, so in addition to uh, anti-corruption, there are also other things that, um, that uh, courts can compete on. And, uh, this would be getting well afield of where where we are right now to explain why this is true, but there are reasons to believe that uh, offering strict liability for cases where strict liability is efficient would be a thing that some of those courts would compete on. Um, so it it's like it, explaining why exactly that's true would be really quite complicated um what, what motivation but, does the person who built the dangerous building have to go with this with the uh strict liability court um uh let's see how to do this in three minutes um feel free to take seven minutes for this one <laughs> okay um so essentially um if the uh so if a court didn't offer strict liability uh, for uh, violating safety standards, if it's economically efficient, then they would essentially offer judgments for in favor of people who didn't violate the safety standard. So someone's got to be losing profits here somewhere. This is for... Uh, just gotta, yeah, so this is for narco capitalism, right? Yes. Um, for libertarianism, you don't have the option of going to other courts, though. You only have the state court. Yeah, but for, yeah, but for libertarianism, like I said, welfare is the last thing on the chopping block. OSHA and some other things like that would be like second to last. Okay, so um, realistically, libertarianism is not going to get rid of that. Probably not. Um, nope. Yeah, and then if uh, I'd need to like draw some graphs and stuff uh, to figure out um, why competitive courts would offer strict liability if it was efficient. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that's something I can do on the fly. So if you're curious about that, hit me up on Reddit or the Discord and I'll explain it there. I think one of the major problems is people always have something they like about government. And whenever you bring up libertarianism, since its main thing is like, reducing the size and scope of government they will bring up the thing about government they like best and say why would you want to reduce this you monster i mean yeah like i said libertarianism has bad pr and i'm not sure how to fix that hmm. sorry if that's an unsatisfying answer but like i know what side i'm on no the truth the scout truth's... mindset scout yep. mindset <laughs> the honest speaking of free plug for julia Gayless book uh, i think it's called the scout mindset it is she just finished writing it it's available for pre-order uh, she said she put a link in the Rationally Speaking episode that came out yesterday, and she didn't. But if you Google <laughs> it on Amazon. Uh, Damn it, Julia. There should be a law. <laughs> what was the title? The Scout Mindset. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And the audiobook is available read by Julia Galef, so I'm yes. buying that. Nice. Or will be available in mid-April. Oh. Did you have any um more anarcho-capitalism uh, questions or anything? Oh, well, anarcho-capitalism, yeah, because... Uh, uh, hmm. <laughs> I mean, maybe it would just I... be better if libertarianism actually had an ordered list of what would be chopped first so that people who say stop getting rid of the regulations that keep people safe in the coal mines could be responded with you know what once we've solved war once we've solved wars and pollution and poverty then we'll get to the coal mine safety standards to axe so that would be a great idea except if you put 10 libertarians in a room they would soon come up with 11 lists of <laughs> what needs to be cut and the logical organization to uh actually put that together is the U.S. Libertarian Party, and they are full of just horrendously stupid chuckle fox. Okay, okay, hold on a sec. If the main party in the U.S. pushing libertarianism is full of horrendously stupid chuckle fox, how can you expect anyone to take this seriously? I mean, we're we 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 all being uh, Democrat, but because, a lot of Democrats are stupid. Because we also because we also have the likes of Tyler Cowen, Alex Tabarrok. Brian Kaplan, to some extent, Larry Summers. Like, uh, basically, the reason why libertarianism is still a intellectually respectable uh, movement is because, uh, and this is actually true, uh, Brian Kaplan did a survey on this, the smarter you are, the more libertarian you are. Yeah, but if the libertarians um, so cannot... Like, if the libertarians cannot coordinate well enough to even form like think tanks and PR groups that oh, employ these people. Oh, we have think tanks and PR groups. They just try to distance themselves from the LP because the LP is full of morons. Uh, but yeah, you look at uh, Cato, uh, to some extent Brookings, um, plus a bunch of smaller uh, think tanks. Like there are some very serious, uh, libertarian um uh policy institutes and also there's reason magazine which is by far the best uh mainstream media looking thing that still exists plug. yeah reason uh, magazine is awesome yeah um so like there are some other groups which would definitely do a better job than the lp but like they don't really have quite the same political cachet and like i said public relations is in my department so like that's my best shot at addressing that but mostly i just have to acknowledge that that is definitely a problem so i'm hearing what we got to do is infiltrate the lp and stage a soft coup from the inside like happened to the republicans in the 80s uh <laughs> Unfortunately, after uh, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld lost uh, the presidency, even though no one expected them to win and they actually significantly outperformed expectations, uh, the LP put in a bunch of new rules that make soft coups almost impossible because they are just determined to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory at every possible opportunity. All right, truncheons and hard coups it is. Yep. Assassinations. <laughs> uh, although, unfortunately, uh, LP meetings tend to be about as heavily armed 
uh, in total number of guns as Republican meetings, and they are much less uh, heavily attended. So we're talking about much higher densities of firearms per person. <laughs> but but admittedly, that's all due to Guns George, who brings 8,000 guns to every meeting. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no. Like, that's a great bit and a really good goof, but no. <laughs> okay. Uh, man, the only things I'm left with are, like, uh, the main things I'm left with are ridiculous questions. And, like, I want to hear about the anarcho-capitalist historical precedents. Like, what the heck's going on with Gaelic Ireland? And uh, I also... Yeah, so I, I'm actually surprised Gaelic Ireland's on there because I'm pretty sure that they were very much not anarcho-capitalist um they were that, pretty dang my understanding was the oh yeah that that's it looks like just rothbard said that uh um they were anarcho-capitalist and rothbard was a complete crank and a moron and also oh. a racist <laughs> i like how it's like i disagree with him also he's racist so y'all, y'all know you don't have to look into him to disagree with me to disagree with him too oh no please by all means look into him <laughs> He he very much wears his colors on his sleeve, which I appreciate. Can I ask more silly questions? Um, Please. This is a great... Also, we do have a uh, list of questions from random people on my Facebook. We we might have better questions. I want one or two from from Jace before we (laughs) take the the community questions. Okay, so what's paleo-libertarianism? What what was that? What? Paleo-libertarian. Okay, I'm looking again at Paleo-libertarianism? the uh, Wikipedia article about libertarianism. <sighs> yeah, so... See, also, we've got, like, libertarian feminism. Uh, and I like the sound of that. Paleo-libertarianism, one. and I just like that they also have links to property is theft, exclamation point, and taxation <laughs> is theft, exclamation point. Correct. <laughs> Fusionism. Uh, yeah, so paleo-libertarianism is uh, paleo-conservatism, but libertarian. Uh, paleo-conservatism is conservatism, but racist. And by the transitive property, paleo-libertarianism is libertarianism, but racist. Uh, it is, in fact, the intellectual movement that Murray Rothbard uh, is the father of. They really are just horrifically immoral and ignorant shit boots. I like how the answer to that was just as great as I could have hoped, given the question. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, libertarianism, libertarian feminism, uh, is pretty much exactly what you'd expect. It's uh, wait, I don't I, expect anything. No, right I have here. no okay. idea what to expect. Okay, so okay, so it's basically like what I one of the themes I've been hitting again and again is that if you have enough people in a society who don't want a thing and that thing and that society has a government, then they can stop that thing. Um, and so what you want to do if you like the thing is just minimizing the size and scope of government so that there's more chance of it being able to slip through that crack uh, or slip through the cracks. And if you observe that uh, women's issues uh, are one of those things that lots of people want to regulate and uh, then and you realize that taking uh, women's issues and reproductive rights and uh, women in the workforce and so on out of government hands is the best way to keep the likes of Tom Cotton from getting his way, then uh, that's libertarian feminism. Huh. I- 
feel like I I thought that was going to be a funny answer, and actually, I'm like, nope. Oh, <laughs> so, so it's basically remove all laws that specifically target one sex from government. Yeah. So oh. on the, on that definition, I am comfortable uh, calling uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg at least a uh, libertarian adjacent. Cool. All right. Uh, what do you think about the criticism that libertarianism has no explicit theory of liberty? <laughs> <laughs> uh i will refer you to scott alexander's um post uh i think it is something like current affairs uh six questions for libertarians treated as writing prop prompts uh and in fact i think that's one of the short ones so i'll just read the passage the entire thing is great by the way so you should read it Okay. Um, But that's true of everything Scott's ever written, so... Not wrong. The question from Current Affairs is, can you construct a theory of property rights that does not suffer from internal incoherence or depend on specious natural law assumptions? Uh, Scott writes, Professor uh, Krasinski sat down at her desk and booted up her computer. It was another quiet morning here at the Harvard Philosophy Department. She had won her position as department chair by discovering a complete theory of morality grounded in first principles with no internal incoherence or any specious assumptions, able to determine everything from the optimum number of minutes speaking to your mother each week to how close you could come to beggars before you were obligated to give them money. She had just finished checking her emails, mostly invitations to speak at various conferences and events, when something started to stir in the center of the office. It turned into a wind, then a whirlwind, and finally a strange-looking man dressed in silver with gold goggles. Professor, said the traveler, Professor Krasinski, terrible news! The professor, whose mind had plumbed the depths of ontology and ascended the heights of metaphysics, was a hard woman to perturb. Yes, she asked the man, what is it? Suppose there's an evildoer who punishes all evildoers who do not punish themselves. Does the evildoer punish himself or not? (laughs) Professor Krasinski realized the implications right away. My God, it's a paradox. My complete theory of morality, grounded in first principles with no internal incoherence or species assumptions, able to determine everything from the right amount to tip your waiter to the exact words you need to speak before a sexual act for it to qualify as consensual. It lies in ruins. And that means, began the traveler. That's right, said Professor Krasinski. She and the traveler spoke in unison. Nothing is true and everything is permissible. (laughs) Come, she said. I've prepared for this day. She took a key out of a potted plant on the windowsill, then used it to open a locked cupboard in her desk. Inside were two hatchets. She handed one to the traveler. (laughs) Where are we going? He asked. To the daycare down the road to hack the limbs off of babies. Obviously, the traveler nodded his approval, and they went off, eyes red with bloodlust. That was fantastic. So the moral of the the moral of the story is you're allowed to have some common sense. And like, just because your moral theory doesn't have or does have some specious assumptions and or internal incoherence doesn't mean that you don't still basically know what's right and wrong. 
And just because I don't have a super well-specified theory of property rights doesn't mean that you don't still basically know what I'm talking about. And sure, that does mean that there are some fuzzy situations around the, the edges, but it's much easier to uh, just address those fuzzy situations as they arise than to write off the entire theory. I want to say <laughs> two edges. What? <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> what, what's that? Oh, two edges are going to take care We've broken Steven. <laughs> I want to save that entire story as a single sound clip to yeah. insert randomly, like the, the uh, yeah. ta-da sound. Yeah, we got to put that out somewhere. That was that was delightful. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm going to like reluctantly stop asking silly questions, and maybe we could like answer some of the series. I, I don't think we can possibly do better than that for like silly answer or great answer to a silly question. So okay, that's like a good place to put my, it. In I mean, it. yeah, that made my day. So <laughs> yeah. we we probably should be calling it soon. Is there anything you want to bring up, or one or two of those uh, questions that you really like that you want to address? Uh, let's see. So, um, uh, we did, wouldn't libertarians think, uh, do things I find icky. (laughs) Um, are are these the actual phrasings of the questions? Uh, they are the actual phrasings I put on the outline. They aren't the actual phrasings people put in, uh, on my Facebook. I I, I tell you what, there's one on here from you. (laughs) Uh, wait, but is ideal government better than ideal markets? That sounds like a good one to end on. Okay, sure. Uh, so this is a fun little question. Uh, just to clarify about the bonking rule, the bonkable offense isn't bringing up ideals. It's comparing ideals to real life. Uh, and this, of course, raises the question. Um, sure, maybe libertarianism is better in a flawed world where people... Uh, don't know things or behave immorally, but uh, would it actually be preferable to something like socialism uh, if everyone was perfect and omnibenevolent? And the book on this uh, is called Why Not Capitalism by Jason Brennan. Uh, It's very good, uh, and I will give a admittedly flawed summary here. Uh, But if you find this question interesting or uh, want to hear a book length uh, version of my answer, I recommend you check it out. Uh, So the Zoidberg meme. Why not Zoidberg? (laughs) I might have to make it. Uh, So it's so it's um, it's actually riffing off of the book, which it's a response to, which is Why Not Socialism uh, by someone I can't remember his name. Uh, but he's basically uh, just a socialist philosopher doing ideal theory, saying that, you know, sure, there are some practical problems with socialism, but um, in an ideal world, it would work very well. Hmm. Um, and Wait, Brennan is saying, yes, it would work very well, but um, but capitalism would work even better. Uh, and so the short version is... Um, uh, essentially there are two problems with central planning, uh, and those are the knowledge problem and the incentive problem. Uh, so the incentive problem is, uh, what, how can you get people to do things that are, uh, not in their interest, 
um, but are in society's interest if you don't pay them. Uh, and then the knowledge problem is essential is a bit more abstract, but it's essentially uh, the business of buying and selling uh, communicates through the price mechanism a lot of information about um, uh, resources and which resources are scarce and uh, what the most efficient use of resources are. And if you're doing ideal theory, then you can basically assume away, the uh, incentive problem because people will just act in a socially responsible way. Uh, but you still have the knowledge problem. Um, and uh, so the you would still want something like a market with price mechanisms uh, around just to make sure that that information is generated and communicated in the most efficient way. And um, the price mechanism is the only way we know how to do that. You also have uh, essentially the Scott Alexander Archipelago uh, case, where which an archi- uh, archipelago is basically an ideal theory version of anarcho-capitalism, uh, where um, different people will have different conceptions of what the greatest good is, and uh, the way that you allow them to uh, pursue those different conceptions uh, is by having a maximally free society where uh, like-minded people can just organize into their own uh, groups. And uh, the pithy version of this is an ideal socialist society cannot allow you to be an anarcho-capitalist, but in an an ideal anarcho-capitalist society, there's nothing preventing you from going off and starting a socialist commune. I do notice that you slightly changed the question to ideal socialist versus ideal anarcho-capitalist, because in my opinion, an ideal government is a government that is run by God, who is literally omnibenevolent, omnibenevolent, omnibenevolent. yeah, <laughs> and uh, omniscient, and all those other things. Because such a society would just be perfect if an actual God existed that actually had all the good things. Yeah. So if you're assuming an omnibenevolent and omniscient, um, and omnipotent. central and omnipotent central planner, then like calling it socialism or capitalism or whatever is like just kind of quibbling over pointless semantics. Cause if you have that sort of actor, then you're probably going to just get the ideal outcome. Yeah. Uh, so the a more interesting version of ideal theory is assume that we're talking about normal human people uh, who have the same computational and cognitive constraints, uh, but who are just morally superior and who don't act uh, selfishly, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, um, in that case, and that, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and that but has if, a much more interesting wanna, answer. But if you're not going to settle for quitter talk, the answer is make a god and put them in charge. <laughs> the answer is always hurry up and become god. Any question? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, well. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, this, this was awesome. fun and informative. Awesome. And I hope we weren't too um, easy on David since at least two thirds of us are already libertarian inclined. Um, if people would like to complain, we have both a subreddit and a discord uh, to do that too. 
And maybe someday we will yell at David again, but probably you'd be better off hitting him up on the subreddit. Yeah. And one third of us does not have anything like an, an articulate politics. So <laughs> if, if there are any like died in the wool, hardcore communists, like read, read theory for fun types uh, listening to this, then I either on this podcast, obviously it's not my podcast, so I can't volunteer the feed uh, because I don't own it because property rights are awesome. Um, <laughs> but either here or somewhere else, uh, I would be interested in uh, having a discussion and or debate about this. Um, if there is someone who's willing to really go to bat for the other side. Ooh, okay. Hit us up at Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com and we will relay this to David. Yep. Yeah, I or uh, as always, you can get in touch with me by snail mail uh, at P.O. Box 420, Clemson, South Carolina, 29631. Uh, that did, is a did, bit. Did I don't own. Just 420 was available? Uh, no, that's a bit. Um, if I ever get a P.O. Box, I will make sure it's P.O. Box 420. But. Um, yeah, I, I don't actually have a P.O. box. Uh, just Lie get in touch with me on Discord or the Reddit. Okay, right on. All right, uh, we have to thank a patron. That's right. I don't know whose turn it is. It's, uh, that's well, because patronage is a old and venerable free market solution to the problem of paying artists for creating art. You know, it's a good thing there isn't a minimum wage for podcasting because otherwise it would be illegal to make this podcast. <laughs> Not wrong. Just making some compelling points. <laughs> I, uh, I just, um, yeah. Okay. So first off, I got to say we're thanking Dina Belenko this time for supporting this episode. I hope you loved that joke that, or the the jokey response that Alex, Scott Alexander gave to that question. <laughs> I will be thinking about it for the rest of the day, and I hope you had fun listening to the episode. And thank you so much for supporting this. Um, you know, you make a good point. It's nice. You know, God, could you imagine if uh, whatever the podcast network charged two hundred bucks a month? Because there's so much content on there, and you can enjoy as much of it as you want, but you have to pay this minimum subscription fee. No, screw all that. You can you can listen to most of them for free, and you can support them per your wishes at your whim. Uh, and I appreciate that uh, Dina's whim was to support us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dina. You're awesome. Indeed. I just actually, I'm not sure. Maybe we do make more than minimum wage. I should actually run the numbers and find out at some point. I'm not sure, but I, I do know that I just added. Uh, I, I don't know why it took me so long, but I finally, because I, cause I, I never on like my account. Um, I'm on the Beijing Conspiracies account, but I logged out and logged in on mine. So I could send Scott Alexa- or, um, Alexander Wales. Uh, so I could sign up for his. Um, I do want to say I'm sorry I, if that any of that seemed um, ungrateful on my part. I really do appreciate all our patrons and the money they give. And I was just trying to make some dumb libertarian jokes. Nice save. <laughs> I thought they were great libertarian jokes. <laughs> and we've got, the, we've got the best judge for it. All right. That was awesome. Um, I don't have anything else to add other than uh, if somehow you're unaware that Enosh and I are doing a podcast called Not Everything is a Clue, mm. where we're going through uh, We Want More Style for uh, Worth the Candle. Check it out. I'm having a great time uh, reading and uh, recording it. So... Um, it is it is a lot of fun. The story's amazing. Steven's doing a great time being paranoid. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really honed the art. I, I, I'm I'm trying to keep it up there. Oh, as long as we're plugging things, um I wrote a novel a few years ago called What Lies Dreaming, and the several people on the Discord got together and created an audiobook version of that, 
which is fucking awesome. Thank you, guys. That is the most amazing gift. Uh, it is now available at Audible and Amazon and wherever. Like, if you didn't buy the book before because you don't like reading with your eyes, now you can read it with your ears. That's awesome. You got it on, on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. It'll it'll be... You know, it's already available as of this recording. So. I have nothing to plug, but I like those things. So, uh, yeah. While... While we're plugging things, I also have another podcast in addition to the Mind Killers. I have plugged it over there, but I'll do it here as well because you guys have a much larger audience, which I will happily mooch off of. <laughs> uh, it is the Pokemon Primeval podcast. It is a Blades in the Dark actual play set in a post-apocalyptic version of the Pokemon universe. And uh, one of the bad guy factions is... Uh, a uh, revanchist uh, communist from the not Russia <laughs> region. So yeah, check it out. That's Excellent. outstanding. Is it, would it spoil any part of your story or anything to say how it got post-apocalyptic? Uh, yes, that is literally like one of the big um, mysteries that I am um, queuing up. How if, you're if you're familiar with the tropes of rat fake, it probably won't be terribly hard to figure out. But uh, most of my audience isn't, so fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Send us a link to that, and we'll put it up in the show notes. We'll do. Cool, All right. Uh, thank you for joining us, and everyone, thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.